What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the John Dawson Perspective Podcast, where we talk about anything and everything. I want to remind you guys to stay motivated, stay blessed, stay excited, and get done what you got to get done. So without any more waste of time, let's dive into it. What is up, everybody? We have an awesome guest with us today. We have Diamondback Damani. He is somebody that I've kind of been in contact with on Instagram for a while now. Um, and we're going to have him introduce himself in a second. But first, I want to say, Ben, what's up, man? How you doing? Loving life, man. We got the first week of September. We're starting to get that uh, what we call sleeping weather outside. So it was one of the first days I had all the windows open. It was just vibing. It's nice, man. Loving yeah. life. How are you? Man, chilling. I, I was having a conversation with somebody in Lowe's today. Of course, it was Lowe's. I'm always in Lowe's. Um, talking about how I'm excited for the cool weather to roll in and hopefully a lot of the stress rolls out with the heat because it seems like you can't be too stressed when it's nice outside. Like, you really can't. So I'm excited to get that that weather to kind of roll in and kind of shift everybody's mood and kind of get into that uh, um, that kind of element. And quick little announcement first off. Um, I'm, I think we're going to be adding coffee to the Much Love clothing store. Um, we're trying to find a really solid um, uh, roaster because we've tried a few and they are trash. So wow. <laughs> it takes, no, no, no one knows, I'm not gonna mention any names, no one knows, but we're working on that. So that's gonna be exciting. We're hoping to launch that towards the holidays to get people some holiday cheer, um, get some people some, some Much Love morning coffee. Uh, but anyway, without any more waste of time talking about my coffee and, and, and how brisk and cold and blanket weather sitting in front of the fireplace with a book, let's dive into it with Diamondback Tamani, man. How are you doing? Thanks for being on here, bro. Yeah, I'm going to steal a saying from like one of my favorite podcasters. He's a sports podcaster, uh, Ben Solak, Benjamin Solak. Uh, he, he analyzes football and he says, everything is delicious. <laughs> and someone asked him how he's doing. Everything is everything delicious. Is, That's like my favorite oh, saying now. So yeah, everything's delicious over here, man. Yeah, it sounds good, man. That, that even you you say that where it's just like it puts people back in their seat and ready to listen. Yeah, though you know, like, look, I'm alive. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. Um, I have a job. I have an income, and um, I have hobbies to keep my mind from. Uh, you know, wandering into those dark places. So I'm in a good place. <laughs> awesome. I know exactly how you feel because uh, work work will drive you nuts. You got to have something to kind of relieve you from that. But with that being said, can you can you drop everybody kind of what you do and and kind of just a brief story of how you got into it? Yeah. Right. So um, you and I met through my job. Right. So I I am the I'm the director of sales and branding and. My unofficial title is uh, CSO of Diamondback, which stands for Chief Style Officer. Um, and basically, Diamondback tool, uh, started off as Diamondback Tool Belts, and now we're Diamondback. We are a soft goods tool belt manufacturer and uh, tool storage company. And I found you looking for dope people on Instagram to represent the product. And at the time, you were like a small fry. Like you weren't even I like was. the big dog on Instagram, right? And I just, I don't know, man. It was just something about you and your vibe and everything, watching your videos and seeing your posts. And I just thought to myself, you know what? You know, this dude is Diamondback. Like he has the right um, aura about him. He has the right drive. The things that we represent as a company in terms of just like self-reliance and uh, effort and like, to sort of 
we do things differently differently than other companies and the way we approach things we're really uh transparent in who we are as people and what we do as people and so what i saw you i was like yo that's that's exactly who john is you know he's a hard worker he's not gonna take no for an answer he's gonna go get his and that's what we do and we want him Brock and Diamondback. And so Diamondback, uh, about four years ago, I started with them when Connor Crook, who is the CEO, uh, purchased the company. And he and I sort of built it up from what it was then uh, to the, it's weird when I even say this, uh, multi-million dollar international <laughs> company that it let's is right go, now. Let's go, man. Let's go. Yeah. It is like, I, it doesn't feel right when I say it, but it's the truth. You know what I mean? Because Really, we are just uh, two guys who were uh, who were friends, who had a passion and saw a need within an industry uh, for people uh, to support people. And we just ran with it. And that's what Diamondback yeah. is all about. And that's what we're all about. And it got us places. And we just plan to do a lot more with it. Yeah, man, I, that's that's that even gives me a little bit more backstory and I, and I appreciate, I appreciate that. I remember when you did reach out, I was like, bro, like I'm nobody. What, what you, you got the wrong. Cause I was following other people, you know, like Matt Bangswood, which, which sounds weird for anybody who doesn't know. He's a, he's a framer. It's <laughs> a great name. He's Matt a Bangswood. framer. He, he hammers nails into wood all the time. That's why it's called Matt Bangswood. Um, but Matt Pinella, um, he, you know, he was that big time. Cause I'm from, I'm originally from where he's, where he lives, uh, uh right. California. Oh, yeah. And he's in um, West Covina, right? I think. Or close. Uh, is he no, not? Maybe not. No, I think no, he's, no, in, he's in Atascadero. I, I yeah. say that wrong every time. Yeah, At okay. Atascadero, uh, which mm -hmm. I live 20 minutes down the road, down the highway from him. Um, but yeah, I remember you reaching out and, I, and I, I looked at your brand. I'm like, well, it's made in the USA, which was just badass. And you guys were proud of that, yes. that workmanship, right? Like I always, you know, my time on Instagram, especially early on, I was really focused on like intricacies. Like I wanted things to be perfect, even if it costs a little bit extra, took a little bit longer. Yeah. And um, I was rocking with a different tool belt at the time. But then you guys kind of put out there, and I, I watched your videos, which was really cool, how you articulated the importance of minor things, right? So many things in that industry are just kind of grouped together as everybody just wears whatever is out there. And if this hurts or this uncomfortable, that's just the, that's the lay of the land. And right. you were the first brand that I saw that said, oh, you don't like this? Well, okay, let's, okay, we're going to move it. And I, I saw you going through these prototypes, cutting things with a knife, like this thing won't cut. And I'm like, this is crazy. He's going to cut something in front of everybody. No, and he's going to look like an idiot. But like you kept doing it. I'm like, man, they really stand behind it. Like you guys, like American made, and they're saying, look, this is, th if it doesn't work, then then we're going to make sure it, 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 you give it back and we're going to make it work. Yes and, yes. and I remember seeing that and I'm like, that's it. Because I was with a tool belt brand that wasn't doing that, but was saying they were doing that. And every time I reached out being like, this doesn't work, they were like, no, nah, they're not doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, they're, they're not. Man, uh, major, major props to you and, and what you guys do. You're doing it. You're doing it the American way, which I think yes. is is a lost art. But I think it's going to become even more uh, sought after um Every single day, every single yes, day. The climate is changing. I just want to point that out. Like one of the things that makes me proudest about what we've been able to accomplish is that uh, we currently internally within the company, we employ 13 people and in manufacturing or 50 people here in the United States uh, are making a living wage and supporting their families based off of what we're doing. And when I think about that, um, that's what makes me want to wake up in the morning um yeah keeping these people working uh one of the hardest things about what we do is 
is the manufacturing in the U.S. Because a lot of people don't really understand how dead manufacturing is in the United States. And it's one of those things where uh, we don't have to go into politics and stuff right now. But like when I hear politicians and stuff like that talk about we're going to bring these manufacturing jobs back to states or whatever. Like I really just think to myself, you're full of it because it's so di- it there's no corporate incentive for anyone to make anything in the United States. Um, everything from the fact that our, we have a minimum wage, which means that people actually have to be paid so that they can live. And there's other countries where they don't have those wages. And there's reasons for that because they have a lower cost of living, right? You can't pay somebody in Cambodia $15 an hour because the equivalent of that in Cambodia would be what a doctor would make. So yeah. like you can't, you right, you see what I'm saying? So you, you can't actually pay somebody who's sewing, you know, a tool belt or shoes or something, what we would pay them in the United States. So the fact that we have a minimum wage, it, like the, the manufacturing is going to go overseas because the, the way they live, they live cheaper than us. Right. And so yeah. the stuff that can be made there. Right. So it's very, very difficult to make product in the United States. Manufacturing places are closing all the time. So that's been a big challenge for us. But one of the beautiful things about it is that the harder that we work, um, the more we're able to help manufacturers out. So there was multiple manufacturers that we work with that were struggling and we brought our business to them and it helped build them back up again. You see what I'm saying? So that's a really big thing for us to be able to help support the manufacturing base here in the United States. And we're sort of ahead of the curve at this point, because like you said, COVID was a big thing. Um, the fact that it was stopping products from coming from overseas hurt a lot of companies. So all these companies that had outsourced overseas yeah. and they're making stuff in China and all of a sudden, now all of a sudden they can't get their stuff. They can't get their stuff made. Right. Huge and problem, now companies man. are rushing to try to bring that stuff back to the U S and there's no avenues for it. Yeah. We had worked all these years to build those avenues up. So we're already ahead of the game. It's been a really Awesome thing. I didn't even really think about that specifically. I know Ben talks a lot about just like 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 what you just talked about is we're trying to bring jobs back here or or, or manufacturing back here. But you know, even what was it? Was it Walmart, Ben? Was it or, uh, or Walmart, Target? Target, Home Depot? You name it, man. They were saying they were going to bring it back, and then and then Ben walks through both of those stores, and it's like ninety percent of the stuff's from China. So it's like, well, oh, that was Walmart. That was Walmart. Yeah, yeah. Walmart made a big promise they were going to bring back American, uh, you know, American-made products. So I, you know, I made a TikTok video walking through and just, you know, spot checking things. Nothing's made in the United States. Today's episode is brought to you by Much Love Clothing. This is an American-first clothing brand that focuses on supporting our country and those who fight and have fought for our freedom. Much Love is about empowering those who have stood up and spoken out about the current events in our country. We know it's difficult nowadays to speak freely about your views without fear of getting canceled or, or shut down by your job or social media. Much Love Clothing is to empower those to speak out and, and, and let people be unapologetically American and proud of the opportunities we are given here in this country. Despite race, despite where you came from, we know that America offers something that you can't get anywhere else. And Much Love Clothing is also what makes this podcast possible. So we would really appreciate your support. If you go check out muchlovestore.com, you can find some awesome clothing, some really cool accessories, and use discount code John Dawson Perspective for a discount. Now, without any more wasted time, let's dive back into the podcast. First off, I, I want to commend you and Diamondback in general for... Doing, I mean, the reason Ben and I sit here every week and we do our platforms and whatnot 
is to make, and this, you know, take it as you will, it's just a phrase, to make America great, whether it's again or just for the first time, who cares? And that starts with giving, <laughs> creating the ability to make, to, to create more jobs for people that live here, that want to work, that want to put their head down and provide for their family, giving them avenues to do so. Now, I know we can all go, you know, 10 ways to Tuesday on how that needs to be done. But in the end, what you guys are doing, that is it. It's creating jobs that people can, can, can sink their teeth into. They're not temporary checking jobs, this and that, which I get people have to start somewhere. But you're giving that, 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 that place for people to call home and really build something, like, like you're building something. And, and, that, and that is why we're here is because we're trying to create more of that. We're trying to get people to think in that way to where they want to create legacy. They want to build something. They want to be proud of where they live and what they do. Because we've lost a lot of pride in our work, whether regardless of what it is or where it is, we've lost pride in it. And and that's just the kind of overall blanket over you guys as, as, as a company is just the pride. No matter what level or what employee I talk to, they got that swag where they're like, yo, like what we do here, we we are proud of every last part of it. And that's dope. Yes, we are very, we're very proud of it. And, and here's another piece of it. It requires sacrifice to build it again in the United States. Um, people have to, the people are really gonna have to come to terms with that. Uh, yeah. Things that are made in the United States are going to be more expensive. And for the reason that I pointed out earlier, because if you're gonna make it here, then you have to pay people a minimum wage so they can feed their families so they can live in the United States because the cost of living is higher which means the end product is going to be more expensive than the stuff that comes from China. So you brought up the Walmarts and the Lowe's and everyone sort of wants to be able to go to the store to get the cheapest price. We have, as a country, we have to change our mentality to stop looking for cheap, 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 cheap. Yeah. Because quality costs money. And if you want to make it in the United States, you're going to have to pay a little bit extra. So one of the things that we did with Diamondback for about the first two and a half years is we educated the, our user base on that. Because first thing people would be, oh, man, Diamondback tool belts are expensive. Yeah. I said you that, know. to be honest. Yeah, well, of course. It, who wouldn't? Yeah, I was like, damn. It's $400 <laughs> for is... a tool belt, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. This is, this is what you're paying for. You're paying for the livelihood of your freaking country, my dog. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how, uh, how else to put that. That $400 goes to all the things that I just mentioned before. Those are the jobs that are uh, of Americans that are being employed. That is the quality of the merchandise that you are. It is the guarantee that you're going to have this product for five years. And if anything happens to it in that five years, you send it back to me and I'll send you a brand new one off yeah. rip. You see what I'm saying? Like, those are the things that you can't get from things that are made in China, like good luck. Like you, you ever randomly bought something off Instagram, like off one of those ads and you know, like you're like, I got a oh, pair of trash, all of it. I was like, yeah, it's garbage. And you didn't know, and you didn't realize that that was like, a, like the website was a front for some Chinese manufacturing company. And then some like, 16 year old kid made a dope website and was drop shipping <laughs> from freaking China. Right, the most right, right. garbage product you've ever seen in your life. Well, those show you like a cool flashlight. Picture. A flashlight that if you shine on a person, you can see their skeleton from the other side. If you go to order it, it's like, you know, it like breaks apart in your hands. It works one time, the batteries run out, and that's it. It's toast. Right. We've and all fallen victim to that. <laughs> right, right, right. We've all done it. And have you ever tried to send it back? 
<laughs> I, it's one of those things where you already you just you you do the math in your head where you're like i'm not even gonna reach out like i already know no. that i'm gonna get uh, someone who doesn't even speak english or just no phone call or a dead end number no email response so you don't even try i mean yeah, I right so that's what that's what the you saving you know 40 percent on that product that's what that got you a broken product that you can't return and you can't even speak to anybody to let them know that it was a bad product you see what i'm saying Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that people will always pay an extra dollar or two for a more for a premium product. So, I mean, I've, I've been perusing your guys' website as you guys were talking. I mean, it, it looks to me like you guys offer a premium product. And when you think about <laughs> it, as, it, I mean, this is it's not like you're it's not like you're you're buying this once a week or once a month. I mean, a, a good tool bag, tool belt, tool whatever the case may be, you take care of it. It'll it'll last you ten, twenty, maybe even longer. Years. We've got Diamondbacks that are 20 years old in the shop right now. We are the Bugatti was, of tool belts. They really are. I was going to say, so like, I, and, I, and I was, I was when we were, we were doing the commercial, I was like, man, I need to dirty up my, my, my tool bags because they don't look like I'm doing anything. Because the way you guys make them, it's like, the, it's so hard to, to show wear and tear. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to sell, I don't make a dime off nothing that y'all, I'm not trying to sell nothing. I, I was like, the, 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 I don't even think it's fabric, whatever you guys use, the Teflon, whatever it is, I don't know the correct terms. Nylon, no fading, and I mean I, I've had it what two years, something like that, about two years, something. Like that. It's green. It's the the velcro is all velcroy. Like the the belt isn't like meshed down in one corner or the other. All the loops and straps and the pockets. I mean I'm throwing nails in there. I'm hooking nail guns on there. That's making that thing droop like crazy. And like I take it off, I fold it up, I put it in my truck, and I pull it out the next day, and I'm like, did I do anything yesterday? And and I was like. I was, I'm not even gonna lie to you for the commercial. I was like, I need to like drop this in some like bushes or something. So like I did, I kind of dragged it through some like dirt and some rocks a little bit. Cause I'm like, <laughs> no, like it's, it's weird. Like the way you guys make it, it's one of those things. Cause I had, I mean, I don't want to mention the name, but I had a different tool belt that was still made out of military grade and whatnot. After about a week, it was starting to knot up. They had wire inside the things. They were starting to break. It was starting to get a little brittle. And I was in that for like six months. And like overall it looked cool in general. But like things were breaking down. I haven't had one thing that's broken down on this. The the denier or the denier of their nylon is not as high as ours. So um, that's okay. one of the reasons why it's going to fade out. Um, and also the coating that they use. They're, they're importing. They're importing their nylon. And, <laughs> and uh, let me. It, it, yeah, you can make things in the USA and not all the components be made in the yeah, usa like right components so, coming from yeah assembled in america now assembled in america so i've used that tagline guys chill out geez right 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 you know it's a real <laughs> thing i mean we we're, we're in the situation that we're in where not everything can actually come from this country because like i said before manufacturing is for the for the most part dead here um but we actually early on we looked at um trying to import nylon right and so uh, because we had so many people complaining about the price point of the product and we were like, maybe we can't sell it for what we're selling it for. And maybe we need to bring the price down. And the only way for us to do that would be to import the nylon. And we had an import company come through and they brought us nylon samples from China. It was the worst shit ever. <laughs> When we held it next to our U.S. made thousand denier coated nylon, it was night and day. Like, I mean, 
their stuff tore. I mean, it was just awful. And it was supposed to be the exact same thing. And the company swore up and down, well, it's the exact same thing. We're going to bring How it to you. Know, they sent this? This, How this was about, this is about two, two and maybe uh, did two you, and a half did years. Did you make any stories about it? I think we did. Yeah. I, cause I remember, I remember seeing something and being like, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, and then you were doing tests and you were just like really disappointed in something. Cause I, did you get like, I, I don't know. I, I remember seeing something and you guys were just like, nah, it's not going to work. Yeah, and I, I put a little tear in it like, and I was like, yeah. You know, like, and it just tore. And I'm like, yo, nylon is not supposed to do that. And I'm like, I mean, here I got the, you know, the, the really, really nice, jovial, chubby dudes with the khaki pants on and the salmon colored freaking polos, you know, the sales guys that roll up and they're, they're trying to sell this product to us. Like it's the We've same all thing. Mm-hmm. Y'all, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I got some salmon shorts. Okay, guys. Right, right, right. It's, it's all good. Because um, <laughs> you're from California. Was, <laughs> was, was from California. But, but you know what? It's not the same. And because the quality that's coming from over there is not the same, it's just not. And and those are the hard decisions, right? Because because I mean I, I'm now in retail, you know, in a completely different avenue with my clothing brand. And Ben and I have talked about this before. It's hard. Like like the shirt behind me right now, no one can see it because you're listening. Um, it's made in Nicaragua or something because I've sourced USA made, and they're really expensive, and the quality isn't there. Right, because not always, not just, because it's made in the USA doesn't mean it's guaranteed to have quality. It just means it's made in the USA. I, it's, it's a difficult thing, and it's difficult choices that you and your company have to make, which is going to put more pressure, stress, and probably pull more money out of your pocket. But if you're willing to sacrifice and make those decisions, that's what sets you apart. And I'm currently in the process of trying to find a manufacturer for my clothing here in the United States. And it is, it's a huge sacrifice. It's a huge time commitment. It's a huge money spend. But again, like you said at the beginning of this, you have to keep in mind what you're doing. You're putting somebody in a position, you're putting families, potentially, who, however big your company grows, you're putting one, two to potentially thousands of families in a, in a, 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 a job that's going to provide them dinner at night, provide them lights, provide them the ability to go on a vacation and spend time with their kids. Like that's, it, we we always complain, and Ben and I, we've talked about this. We, everybody's talking about like how you know America puts immigrants and everybody else before us, while we literally go out and spend all of our money on China. Right? We're so mad that this administration and that administration doesn't take care of our people before uh, people coming over from Mexico or Afghanistan or wherever. While 90% of our paycheck goes right back overseas to manufacturers that, you know, make the rich get richer. So we're all guilty of this same thing. And and that's why I think you're perfect to be on this podcast because you are literally the definition of what needs to be done to combat this. Politics aside, this is the action in work right now. I can tell you for a fact that I'd be making more money right now if I outsourced over. Like I would be taking home. I would I would be driving a nicer car. I'd be, I'd have a much nicer sneaker collection than the one that I have if I was outsourcing to China. Like it is a personal sacrifice internally within the company. The people that are running the company are not making as much money because yeah. we're making it in the United States. So when I say that it's a sacrifice across the board, it is a sacrifice across the board. It's a sacrifice for the consumer. It's a sacrifice for the producer. All of us are making a sacrifice to do the better thing. And I think is the better thing, right? And that's not a knock on other companies have to try to find a way. It's not a knock on you. Like 
you know what I'm saying? That shirt's made yeah. in Nicaragua. Yo, shout out to Nicaragua. I got like Nicaraguan friends and I'm sure they could sew like, like hell down there. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? But you can, you know, so I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying that it, it, it requires a huge sacrifice. We're getting into apparel now. Right. Yeah. Um, we put out shirts in the past and none of them, this shirt actually that I have right here, I've actually found a one company that I've found shirts that I liked in the United States. And I, I shoot them. After we get off the podcast, I might have to put you down with them. Um, yeah, let me John. Know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, they're, they're a little pricey, but um, it's really, really good quality. But we actually realized that we were going to have to go design everything from the ground up. Um, we found a company out in Baltimore that is a sewing and manufacturing company. And all of the, what, the what? Diamondback apparel is going to be designed in-house and manufactured here. But I'm gonna keep it 100. We will be importing our fabric from Spain because we, you, you, and this is not an exaggeration. You literally cannot get the fabric made that yeah. we need to have made for our, our technical apparel made in the United States. It Spain's just kind of different, though. That's more of like a bougie badass type of fabric rather than coming. It is a bougie, like China, it's a bougie badass fabric. Yeah, yeah, and I and I saw some of your guys' prototypes or or. or you know what your concepts that you have coming out and it's 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 bougie um it is hey hey ben do you need a job sewing fabric yeah Is maybe ben. you know i'm in baltimore man yeah but oh, wait, uh, are you near baltimore ben i'm born and raised in baltimore i'm in baltimore right now yo what's good he's <laughs> I'm in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was looking at you guys' website right then in uh, what's it, Charlottesville. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, people get into business for different reasons. Obviously, the the, the first reason is to make money, but the uh, you know ulterior reason, the auxiliary reason, is because they have a passion for whatever it is their business is. Generally speaking, so I mean, if if you didn't have you know this like sort of passion for like providing a good product, whether it be helping people throughout their work day with a, a tool belt, tool bag, whatever the case may be, you wouldn't be doing it. And if you gave people a lesser product for more money, well, that would reflect in you know how you guys do as a business. So when you talk about making sacrifices as an American business to provide an American product, mm -hmm. the promising thing, both for you as an individual company and for American manufacturing at large, is that your guys' business is growing, which That's tells you true. that there is a demand for it. That's true. That's true. People want quality. Yeah. They want it made in the United States, and they want to see people putting in work for their best interest. You yeah. know, <laughs> like that is at the end of the day, like if it works for them, they want it. So and people so want I'm, a product that's going to help them throughout their day. Yeah. They want I something wanna, to be reliable. I, I want to dive into this, Ben. I'm going to ask your opinion, and then I want to hear. I want to hear Damani's opinion because I, I feel like with the line of work you're in, Damani, you're going to have a different, or you're going to have a, a unique perspective about this. Okay. Ben, first off, nice Moscow mule you got going on there, bro. I did it legit really this nice. week, man. Did it legit with the right cut. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ben, how do you feel about the minimum wage conversation here in America? Like, like, how do you feel about wanting to raise minimum wage all across the board, you know, to, I think it's 15 bucks an hour? Well, um, obviously, you know, there's the, the, the good argument about a federal minimum wage is that the cost of living, you know, in, you know, uh, New York City versus the cost of living in Charlottesville, North Carolina are not the same. So if you run a gas station in South Carolina and you have to pay your employees $15 an hour, well, you're not going to last very long or you're going to have a lot less employees versus paying your employees that same amount in New York City. Well, you might be making out like a bandit paying your 
uh, your employees only $15 an hour in New York City. So I think the idea of a, well, I mean, not to mention inflation and, you know, there's so much that goes into, um, you know, the economy and, and, you know, the idea of capitalism. I mean, it's a very complex issue, but the bottom line is the cost of living is not the same, you know, nationally. So the idea of a federal national minimum wage is just, it's, it's just a, a, a political talking point to get votes. I could, I could see that. I could see that. I'm trying to make everybody happy, except people that live in California and New York. They're like, dude, well, that still doesn't help. Uh, so, Damani, what's, what's your opinion now? Because you're, you're paying these people, right? So how do you, what, what is your thoughts on that, on that topic? So I try to look at things about, uh, I, first of all, I completely agree with what Ben said. Um, you start messing with a lot of things when you start federally mandating things. This is a very, very large country and it's very different all over. Um, and anyone who's traveled this country knows that. And people that don't travel this country are the ones that don't. Um, so I agree with exactly what Ben is saying. I, I understand the perspective of people who want to push for the concept. And I understand that, like, I understand the motivation behind it, right? And it's because there are predatory capitalists out there and that take advantage of people. And and, and that's and it's the unfortunate truth. Like oh, yeah. everyone, anyone who's the, you know, like a, a pure capitalist or like the, 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 the system will fix itself. It'll correct itself. Capitalism corrects itself. Like they sometimes forget the fact that humans are amoral. And not everyone is good and it comes into things with good intentions. And so the people that push for a federal minimum wage, what they're trying to do is protect people from uh, people uh, from businesses who are hiring and is essentially, for whatever reason, are producing like uh, this is an exaggeration, but slave labor conditions. Right. Uh, where yeah. you have to work 20, you know, you know, 18 hours a day just in order to live. And then you're not really living there. So I understand the motive of life. Right, right. Um, so I understand the motivation behind it. I don't think that it's plausible. And, and I do believe it is a political talking point. I believe that it's one of those things where you're you're you say that, like, I'm gonna push for this, knowing good and well it's never gonna pass. Um, but that's pretty par for the course for most politicians. They're gonna <clears> say <throat> things because it it rings right with a particular audience, knowing good and well that's never going to pass, right? It's, but it's they can optics, always right. They want it to be right, perceived it's as oh, what a cool guy, right, right, right. And so they can always hang their hat on, uh, hang their hat on. Like, well, yeah, I I, I said that I wanted it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they didn't let me. Like the you know the Republicans or the Democrats didn't let me yeah. put it through. It's their fault. Right. They, they stopped it. Right. And so that's how you sort of play the political game. So I don't think it's a plausible thing. Um, I would like to see state governments or municipalities work to make sure that the minimum wage actually uh, like accurately reflects the cost of living within their area. Um, I think that would be great. Uh, but here's the other problem with minimum wage. It, I actually mentioned this earlier. Because we have a minimum wage in this country in order to protect people from poverty, so to speak, because that's why you're supposed to have a minimum wage. Um, let me back up. America's rich. Let me just put this out. And compared to the rest of the world, we're just filthy freaking rich. Like, 
people that live in America are are the one percent of the world, regardless of where you are in you know economic class. I I challenge everybody that's listening to this podcast to when they when the podcast is over. I don't. I just want you to go to Google and Google why is a bunch of bananas ninety nine cents. Just Google that phrase. <laughs> bananas and, are so cheap; it's wild. Right, and read the history of why bananas are ninety nine cents, and it will blow your mind, and it's going to explain something to you about America and capitalism. Okay, so I'm just going to leave that there, and we're going to move on to something else. All right, so we're filthy rich. So our poor people are essentially rich in comparison to other places. The higher you make the minimum wage, the higher the production cost of things go up in this country, the less it makes our products that we make here able to compete in an international market because they become so expensive. And whether you like it or not, we live in a world market. Like you can complain about it all you want to, but everything, it, it, it's a one world order. It's here already. If you're worried about the Illuminati and all these conspiracy theories, it's too late, dog. You can't do nothing about it. We live in a world market and we can't come and we like we won't be able to compete with what else. I saw a commercial on television the, the other day. It was for Alibaba, which is like the Amazon of China. Right. Yeah. And the commercial literally was literally said this. Did you buy that product for $20 on Amazon? Go to Alibaba.com and get it for four. No, well, I mean, so you're absolutely right, is that we live in a world market. And not only are people evil, but the other side of that spectrum is that people are, whether you want to call it lazy or dumb, or, you know, whatever negative adjective you want to use to describe, the masses, they don't really have what it takes to regulate a capitalist market. So when we elect to do capitalism as opposed to something like communism, we are taking on the responsibility. We're saying, no, we don't want the government in charge of the private sector. It, it wouldn't be private at that point, obviously. It would be the public sector. We say, we don't want the government regulating this. We, the people, elect to regulate this. That's what capitalism is. So when the people, 99% of people buy something from Amazon and Amazon grows into this absolute you know, juggernaut of the private industries to the, to the point where they're unstoppable. Like, they're, Amazon's going to end up, um, you know, creating curriculum for your children in school. They're going to end up, you know, owning the Pacific Ocean at some point. That's inevitable at this point. But the thing is, that's not a failure of capitalism. That's a failure of the people to regulate what we elected to be our own market. Imagine if people looked at a single dollar the same way they looked at their vote for president. Like the whole idea that you vote with your dollars. Every every dollar that you spend, you're voting for something within the capitalist, capitalist system. And if you start to think about things in that particular way, then you as a people, like you're saying, Ben, you begin to start to regulate or do your part in regulating, right? See, Ben's been saying this for a while. It... Dude, I've already done what I can to try to shame people from canceling Amazon Prime to get people to stop going to Walmart and stuff like that, you know, and then people bust my chops about it. It's it's so it's so true. Like you said, I've never I mean, Damani finally now I get where you're coming from, Ben, because it makes sense when he says voting with dollars. The the thing that I feel like for me, because I mean I am the problem, I I still have an Amazon Prime. Um I do too. 
Yeah, you know, but it's one of those things where... Wait, wait, wait hold up. Daniel, do you have Amazon Prime too? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're surrounded by a... Guys are killing yeah. me. <laughs> well, see, but that's Three the Three out of four people who complain <laughs> about Amazon have Amazon. And that's why Jeff Bezos is rich. Um, because it's so difficult. Okay, so so this is the thing, and this is how I feel about the, about the, the Republican Party as well. Um, I feel like Democrats are a lot better at getting on the same page and, and, and fighting for something. A lot of people um, either don't get on the same page due to difference of political opinion or due to difference of this and that. I feel like conservatives and especially people who are trying to change the system from like voting with your dollars, we, um, we, we don't see anyone else. Like, like Ben doesn't see me get in line, so Ben doesn't do it. Or I think Daniel's using Amazon, so why, why can Daniel use it if I'm not going to use it? So like in change, we're, we don't we decide to do what everyone else is going to do anyway. Like, Oh, mine's not going to make a difference anyway. And that just kind of trickles down to where no one ever does anything because they don't see other people doing it. So they feel, well, if someone else isn't doing it, then why should I sacrifice my Netflix or prime or whatever? If Daniel and, and Damani and, and so-and-so all have it, you know, like, I think that's why, that's why we don't all get in line. Well, I mean, I, I believe that, I mean, you know that I've been preaching this for the, you know the better p- part of over a year now, and you know I talk about you know don't sh- don't shop at these big box stores. Always try to sh- support local, and I'm 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 adamant about it. I'm almost religious about it. So I've been with Verizon Wireless my my entire life. I've never had a different carrier. I've had the same cell phone number since I was 13 years old. Been with Verizon for what almost 20 years. Verizon, not to get too political, but they they decided to go woke. They were teaching their employees, uh, what is it, like the the basically uh, critical race theory for adults. Time out. Did you say not to go too political? Do you I know? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what? I always say not to get too political. I always <laughs> act like I don't want to talk about politics. This is this is the guy that says, uh, needless to say, and then says it like, oh, apparently right, it wasn't. Right. Don't needless. mean to offend you, jerk. <laughs> I don't mean to sound racist, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, At any rate, I found out that they they went woke, and I canceled Verizon. I got a uh, a an AT and T SIM card being sent to me as we speak, and as soon as it gets here, I will no longer be a Verizon customer after twenty years of being with them. Damn. Because you have to vote with your dollars. I, I, firm, I, I believe that if we are going to save the world from like the new world order, whatever you want to call it, besides you know going into a civil war against the machines like in Terminator, the only way to do it is with our dollars. That's why Didn't they I'm lose so that war. Did they lose that war in Terminator? Isn't that the mm, whole point? I think it's like, still going. <laughs> it's still going <laughs> on. Okay. Somebody else needs to be sent back in time. I don't know. <laughs> right. 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 It's a never-ending. What is it? The, the whole point is it's a never-ending battle, right? So, um, I, I actually have a question for you um, uh, because this is an interesting point for me. Um, what 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 about the? I don't know what Verizon did with their employees, so I'm just curious. Like, what 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 were they teaching them that sort of turned you off? Because I'm like, well, it's they were teaching them like it's like. A, um, what is it like like race relations and race uh sort of uh i don't know what you want to call it and you know if you put it's kind of like the, the critical race theory type like but but for like uh corporations right 
For right. It's like, uh, you know, it's like these PowerPoints and you have to go to classes and like they take, they like screen you and give you like surveys on like where you stand on different things, how much you know about different things. And, you know, just coming out of my mouth right now, it doesn't sound like that, that harmful of a thing. Right. But the ulterior right. motive. I'm just, I was just it. curious. No, I didn't mean to put you on the spot at all. I was just curious. Not at all. I don't feel put on the spot. But mm-hmm. the thing is, it's sort of the same thing that they're doing the kids. Like it's like they, they uh, sell it as this sort of harmless sort of like you know expand your horizons expand your mind and like cultural knowledge kind of thing but the underlying you know motive of it is that it's divisive and it's it's only going to create uh you know a sort of hierarchy in the workplace based off of something completely superficial so so Damani, i would actually like to do, do you know much about the critical race theory and all that different stuff yes and no um the yes is that how do i put this so there is a critical race theory that is a buzzword right now mm-hmm. that I that I know for a fact does does not represent the people what the writings of the people that invented critical race theory right so the stuff that I've read from the people who started critical race theory it was not intended as a method of division Right. So imagine this, like we all went to frickin school. Right. And we all took history class and um, and we learned American history. And it was a really watered down uh, the winner writes to history book version of American history. OK, sure. so uh, if you had a good history teacher, they might have added additional curriculum to whatever the hufflin mclifflin or whatever history book it was was you know like we built america or all these other things or like lies my teacher told me or all these like uh, there's all these great additional history books that you can have out there um like so quick aside like i remember going to see an elementary school play with one of my kids and it was like a thanksgiving play or something it was like a holiday play and it was like the most I was like, it was the most incensing thing that I'd ever seen. Like, I was so pissed off that I walked out of my child's play, right? Because (laughs) it was this Thanksgiving play and it was like all the Native Americans like embraced the Europeans that came over and and it it wasn't the truth, (laughs) basically. Like sugar-coated, like like just false. It was solely sugar-coated and like, you know, like the, the, like... Uh, I think like John Smith was this hero when I'm sorry, I've read every first hand account of people that you know, like the dude was a douchebag. Like yeah. it, it was awful. Oh yeah. You know, these are they, like, and, and like, there's nothing against the pilgrims and, the, and even unfortunately with the pilgrims, they were actually like victims of European capitalists. They were brought over as a workforce for European capitalists or whatever. And they were lied to that. It was a whole Christian mission and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, we can get into the history of that. But the point is that it was this watered down history and it was just so ugly to me. It was, it was this kumbaya play about Thanksgiving. And it made me really, it made me really angry because I don't think that there's anything wrong with actually talking about what really happened and, uh, cause it, it, because that's how we learn, right? And so the originators of critical race theory, the, the idea was that what they were trying to do was try to say that there was a race component in the, in the building of this country that had been erased from 
uh, historical textbooks that were being taught in schools. And so what they were saying is that, and we can all admit to each other that there, there, there has been multiple race components in the history of this country, whether we're talking about Europeans versus Native Americans, if we're talking about uh, like blacks versus Europeans, it, it even gets even more nuanced than that when you get to like colorism and things like that, when you talk about the Seminole Indians and all that stuff, you know, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So what they were saying is that a lot of this country, a lot of how this country was built, there was a massive race component that played a part in it, the same way that there would be a war component or an economic component or like that. And all they were trying to do was point this thing out. I think that with many, with very, with a lot of really good ideas, they get, they, they, people run with them. And then as the further you get away from the source, the further, further distorted from the good idea that it becomes. Right. And so I'm not here to say that I understand every single thing that's being taught or being used, but I do believe that a lot of things are being put under the critical race theory umbrella that don't belong there. And that the people that actually created critical race theory are probably pretty upset now that their really good gumbo has too much salt in it, right? Um, and and so and 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 that's where I, and I think that as and I think that if pe- and I, and I really do be- truly believe that if people understood what the origins of critical race theory were, they wouldn't have a problem with it. What I think most people that have a problem with critical race theory, they're experiencing the, the you know, the, the distortions of it. The secondhand version or the fifth-hand version. Right. Yes, yes. That so that's, was, uh, that was a long, drawn-out thing. Bro, yeah. that was the best I've heard that put. Because I've tried to explain that a couple times to people, and I, I've never been able to put it that elegantly. But you just, I mean, that's that's a clip right there. That that explains it. Because back in, what, I think it was like 1970s is when it originated, when they were yeah. actually trying to educate on the proper history of uh, black America, for, for the most part, of, of yeah. the things that were being overshadowed. Because at that time, they were still trying to teach a biased, uh, numbing history. And, See, they and, were doing it until the 2000s, B. Yeah, and then, <laughs> still doing it. And that's what I mean. That's <laughs> I'm why in Virginia, that, B. That's why it was the implemented there. Yeah, Virginia. No. Yeah. See, when you start getting to Virginia, my, my friend went to college out in Virginia. Even the colleges um, yeah. have some major skewed curriculum that's still, that to, to this day are, is still funky. Um, but 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 in, that's when it started in the 70s and, and moved forward, you know. But when I look at what the critical race is that's going into, you know, that wants to be put into curriculum, it has all this woke language in it, which is is like almost like reverse dumbing down. It's kind of it's almost, you know, like when you have like the reverse racism, people are like we can't be have reverse racism. But then it's just it's all it all it's teaching is like one extreme to the to another, I guess, basically. Right, right. And, the and pendulum swinging too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the polarized. I mean, the same thing that happens when we do elections. It's like, well, we went too far left. Now we're going to go way too far right. And it, it's just back and forth. And that's why for now, I'm like, this is not the time to drop this critical race because it's going to be fueled by this hatred and division. It's not fueled by education and understanding. And 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 when you're putting this into young kids, which is what they're what they're trying to do or were, I don't know what happened to it. Really, kind of just disappeared, like everything does. Um, when you put it into kids that that aren't critically thinking in that way, 
it's detrimental because when I was young, I didn't care that my best friend was was pink. Like the dude was so white, he was pink. Had no clue. Had no idea we were different. No idea. And and I had no idea that you know uh, uh, some friends that I played basketball that were way better than me were black as hell. Like to me at that age, I wasn't articulating my thoughts as a race or a color thing. I was articulating them as a human thing. Like I just see people like that. This person makes me have fun. I like him. This guy sucks. I don't like him. Nothing else. Nothing more. And when you implement, hey, did you know Jimmy's a black guy? And did you know that he actually has more struggles than you? Then a kid's mind would automatically go towards why am I just inherently better than 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 Jimmy? And and then you get these kids head spinning, and you know how kids are. I mean, you go to a junior high, and they're the most knife cutting, just throat throttling people. They don't care. They will. They will. They will kick you while you're down. They don't understand the repercussions of that psychological damage. So when you put that weapon in kids that age hands, you can just see the divide start gaping from that point on because they're ruthless. They're ruthless. So. So imagine this. Imagine this, John. Uh, well, do a thought experiment for a second. Those are always fun, <laughs> right? So, uh, so imagine this. Um, like, uh, trauma is like a real thing. So, right. So, and most oftentimes when people are traumatized by something, um, it can go one of two ways. It can go like a, a hurt people hurt people kind of scenario. Like you are traumatized, so then the next person you encounter or you're close to, you then pass that trauma on to them by doing the same thing. So like you are abused, then you become an abuser, right? Yeah. So that's like, or you are oppressed, so you become an oppressor. There's a great book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which talks about that, right? Um or it can go the other way where you have experienced a trauma and so you become so sensitive to it that you do everything in your power to make sure that the next person doesn't experience the next trauma, right? So humans sort of kind of work in that particular way, right? Yeah. Um, it's like a black person who grew up without a dad that like is the best father ever. ever. It, it, boom. You, you're right on it, right? So I remember the first time that I knew I was black. <laughs> and it's because my mom told me, right? And... Yeah. I think I was like six or seven and my mom asked me to, you know, give her the list of kids that I wanted to invite over my birthday party. And I brought her the list and she looked at the list and she's like, there's no black people here, right? <laughs> Damani, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right. Um, and it's only because, and so I was like, at six or seven, I wasn't, you know, paying attention to color but my life was very divided in the sense that like when I went to church all my friends were black like I was a smart kid so I was put in the smart kid classes really early on in elementary school so I was like the only black kid in the class right so when I was in school all my friends were white in school but when I played sports my friends were white and black and Asian or whatever so when my mom asked me to make this list um uh I, I wanted to invite kids that I went to school with and they happened to be white. And so my mom pointed that out, which then as a result made me realize I was black, right? That's crazy. So I was different than them. So like, why would my mom do that? This is going to go to the thought experiment, like the, the whole hurt people, hurt people. Well, like my mom grew up in Philadelphia, right? And she experienced a lot of racism. Like she came up in the time when like the Move organization was bombed. They were like literally down the street. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The government bombed a black community organization. Crazy. Like 
firebombed a city block, right? So, like, this was the world that my mom grew up in. Like, uh, the first job that she tried to get uh, at a bank, um, she, like, tested off of the charts, and she went in for her second interview, and they looked at her, and they straight up told her, like, you tested off the charts, but you're never going to work here because you're black, right? So, like, so my mom experienced this racism, right? And so my mom then, as because she's afraid of me experiencing the same thing, wants me to be hyper aware of who I am as a black person in the world when I go out because she doesn't want the first time for me to experience that to be like, I'm not prepared for it. Kind of like the same way my cousins beat the shit out of me. Like we would fight each other because we would fight each other to teach each other how to fight so that when we went out of the house in Philadelphia and we got in a fight with kids on the block, we could win the fight. So the first fight happens inside of your home so that you don't lose the fight outside of your home. Preparation. It's a preparation, right? So it's the same, and the same thing happens when you're sort of like passing trauma, right? Or attempting not to pass trauma, right? Like the same, the same way my mom was. And so there's this level of this that has to do, that, that happens in the, in the racism conversation, right? Where, and this goes to what you were saying, John, about like overcorrecting, right? And so like we have to be careful that when we're trying to protect our children, that we are not then recreating the problem that we're trying to avoid, right? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's really, really hard. Like, I know with my kids, like, my, I have a son that's 17, and my son is like, like, me and my, me and my friends, like, for, 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 like, elementary school and middle school and everything, they're like, race doesn't freaking matter. And then just last week, I watched my son screaming up in my living room upstairs because he was in a group chat where a bunch of dudes started calling him monkey nigger. Damn. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, this was a, it, like, he literally tried to avoid the race conversation until it got, became too late. Yeah. And then that was his, emo you see what I'm saying? His emotion, right? I, I forgot where I was going with that entire thing. But, like, I think this is sort of like, the understanding of what we're trying to deal with in terms of like the pushing of the critical race theory. So this is, so let me couch it like this. I understand that like why a person would be hesitant about a woke movement, right? Because here's the overcorrection. Like, you know, you swerved in your car, you want to overcorrect, now you're going to crash. Yeah. I also understand why people push so hard for it, right? And I'm somewhere in the middle, like, where can we find a common ground, guys? <laughs> like, where's the, where's yeah. the, where's the And that's the almost the most hated position out of all, because now you got both sides. Oh my sides God, it is the most Because hated. you haven't chosen a side, so therefore you're like the enemy to both sides. So, I do it, so I am the enemy to every side. With, with, what, with what you said here, and I had, I, early on in TikTok, because I, my main topic was race early on, I had many conversations with older black people men and women um that would tell me that I'm not respecting you know my my past my my ancestors my history that was the biggest thing like oh you're disrespecting your ancestors I'm like I, and and with that with with what I preach everyone assumes that I think racism isn't a real thing which which I really don't know if a single person that walks this planet thinks that racism isn't real even you're a in black man this, in America John 
this day in America, like or this day today, this minute, there's there's racism that exists. Um, yeah. What 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 pissed me off, in all honesty, about it was like what you said, where I and that's where I came up with the whole much love thing because I understand where people are coming from. They came at me with what you just said about your mom. They came at me with you've got to understand the struggles. Like you don't you don't remember a time when there was a black drinking fountain. You don't remember the time when you couldn't walk the street um, if there was a white lady down the road. You didn't remember the time where you would got you would get beat if you showed up to the front door at a restaurant. And I was like, and and that's exactly it. I I don't remember that time because I haven't I wasn't alive at that time. Now I'm not disrespecting that time. I'm just trying to to live in the moment that I'm in now with the opportunity that I have now and continue to grow it from here forth, not look back to 1920s and live back then. I want to start from where all the people, all the people that died, all the people that died for me to have the freedoms and the opportunities that I have today, I'm not going to disrespect them by going back at their feet, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago. I'm going to live from this point of the story forward so that in 20 years, my daughters don't have to deal with what I deal with right now. Like that, that's, that's the progression of it. So when they tell me these things, I don't necessarily think they mean to uh, demean me or, or try to hold me back or, or necessarily push their oppression on me, even though that's what they're doing. They mean it because they want you to realize that what you have wasn't free and 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 how you're living life isn't hasn't always been that way. And, and I can appreciate it, but I'm not going to. And this is this is where it get complicated just with my vocabulary. I'm not going to uh, uh, put it on a pedestal. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna glamorize it or put it on my trophy shelf. I'm gonna respect it. I'm gonna appreciate it. I'm gonna be thankful for it, and I'm gonna move from there. And that's where I disconnect from the Black Lives Matter movement where a lot of the optics of it all, right? Again, you have an honest original movement that got uh, uh, overcorrected into woke culture, culture and then train wrecked, right? But in, in the essence of Black Lives Matter, it, it makes perfect sense. It works. It's what everyone could have gotten behind. But again, it's that overprotection, that overcorrection, trying to prepare you for something, not realizing your life and your mentality is different because no, you weren't where your mom was when they were when they were bombing. You weren't you weren't there when she was turned down a job and they could just outright say you're black. No thanks. Like we've never necessarily experienced that to that magnitude. So when people bring that up to us, it's it's almost like we're disrespecting it if we say yeah, I understand that, but I'm still gonna go get this now. Like like thanks for, thanks for the comment. And it's a big country, now. John. And it and it's it's a big country, right? So like what going back to even what Ben was saying, like. You might be in one place where, like, like for instance, I'm never gonna, I'm not, I'm never going back to Alabama, <laughs> like <laughs> ever. Like the experience that I had there, I'll, I'm just like, I'll pass, right? So I, I could be in Alabama, and there could be a situation where like racism is freaking aw- like it's awful, it's oppressive. Like I don't think that they're that far from 1960, right? In in a lot of places in Alabama, right? But there's there's places like you know San Francisco or like uh, I, I don't know uh, where, where Bloomington Indiana or uh, where Indiana University is like really progressive communities are all across yeah. Austin Texas and Oregon. you know like whatever <laughs> where like it's it's like whatever like you're black okay whatever you're you're Arab who cares you're white yeah. like whatever can yeah. you do the job sure you're yeah. hired right like so it is a big country so like what just like imposing a federal minimum wage, like 
doesn't work because it's different everywhere. Like culturally, the stratifications are the are so different everywhere that you can't sort of you, it, it doesn't necessarily it's not effective to push a, a like a national social agenda, right? Because it's not the same everywhere you go, and we're not experiencing life the same wherever we are. All different cultures. And yeah, by the way, screw the dude called the cops on me in Alabama. Yeah. I'm on a podcast now with John Dawson and Blue Collar Ben. <laughs> so, I mean, so where I come from is, I mean, I grew up in Baltimore City, obviously. Um, I've been here my entire life. I've always been, you know, the minority in the city. When I went to preschool. I was one of the only white kids. Uh, I went to Baltimore City Public Schools for high school. I went to Morgan State University for college. Yeah, I mean, when, when like, you know, when I have banter with like other conservatives about, you know, like, you know, you know, BLM and things like CRT, I, I have a very different perspective than most quote unquote, you know, white conservatives might have on the on the on the topic of race. Um, I have a very different perspective, very different life experience when it comes to that sort of thing. I, you know, I, I never even like understood the difference or that there was a difference until like probably until I got to college and I started like mm. seeing like what sort of curriculum they had at Morgan State. You know, there was like, um, you know, African-American heritage and uh, like, I'm not going to lie to you, I'll, a lot of it was sort of uh, indoctrinating in, in, in a lot of different ways, um, but that's neither here nor there. So there was a sp very specific moment that I realized that racism was a lot more alive than I thought it was. And that moment was actually here on the John Dawson perspective um, I was actually in, in Virginia Beach at the time. I was talking to John Dawson, and our guest was This Is Savvy, who is uh, a black woman from, uh, she lives in Louisiana. And um, I was talking about this idea of um, the media pushing um, this white supremacy narrative. And I was like, you know, this sort of, you know, uh, invisible, unseen, nameless, faceless person that they keep calling white supremacy. And I'm like, you know, show me the white supremacist and we'll go stomp them together. And at that very moment, John and Savvy both kind of looked at me like they'd seen more racism than they both seen more racism than I ever did, ever did as a white person living in Baltimore City, because I don't see white people being racist against black people in Baltimore City. That's just not normal here. I, no. I wouldn't even know what it looked like here. Right. But the fact that, you know, John coming from California, living in Texas or Savvy, a black woman li living in Louisiana, they've seen much different things than I have. And I, I was at that, that exact moment. I realized there's something more to this than I realize. So when yeah. we talk about things like critical race theory, back to what John was saying about, uh, well, I mean, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to sort of introduce these things. And I think you're what, what, like 20 minutes ago when you were talking about the origins of, of CRT, that was one of the more, most balanced and, you know, authentic and mature explanations I've ever heard from anybody. Facts. But the fact Thank that you. this idea of CRT has sort of been lumped in during this time of like Black Lives Matter, burning down neighborhoods and the sort of, you know, the Democratic National Convention and it goes along with like what's going on with like George Soros and the New World Order and it's all sort of lumped together. They introduced CRT at the same time that like this Marxist revolution was taking over. That's what gives a lot of people a bad taste in their mouth about the idea of CRT. And the fact, as you pointed out, that it's been so bastardized from its original uh, intentions. 
So when I talk about something like Verizon went woke, so I dumped Verizon, that's where I'm coming from. And, right and on. that and that's and that makes perfect sense because I mean, right now, no matter what you introduce, if it has a hint of one side or the other, people are going to go polarized on it, like 100. Like if something hints of of Trump, the the opposing side is going to go 100 ham against it. If something, you know, it, it's just that it's where we're at, right, right. Like that's where we're at right now. Like we're we're not we're in a zero tolerance zone, right? We're, we're not going. Divided. Yeah, like we're fighting for our team. We could give a damn about truth. It's not relevant. And and that's kind of, I mean, that's the reason why we're on this podcast is to to work for more truth and conversation than just, hey, that's my guy. Don't talk trash. Like it, it's it's ludicrous. And I I I think I think Ben, like you said, like when when you you heard Sav and I talking about, you know, what we've seen, I understand the racism thing and how it's still here and it's still dominant. I think the real the real steps that I'm trying to take forward with, with whatever critical race theory was originally is kind of the same thing that I have in mind, which is educating people to not hold themselves back. There's plenty of other things that will already do that for you. So I can't stand when I hear people telling black people like, hey, like you can't do this because of whatever reason. I don't care. I don't care if it's racism. I don't care what it is. I think a dialogue, an internal dialogue and an external dialogue to people, to kids, to, to grownups is more... Uh, uh, empowering and detrimental in a negative way, like like can hold you back than anything. So when you're teaching kids, hey, by the way, you're black, you're gonna have to fight ten times harder than this white kid. That puts doubt in their mind. That makes them underperform because they feel like there's no way for them to to bridge that gap. And that's what I can't stand about a lot of the race topics and the people on, especially on the news and the people on social media, like you know the consciouslys, the ice speaks that are constantly living wonderful lives with wonderful families. And and not once do they ever talk about how wonderful their family is, how they got into the job that they got into, you know, how they're living life. All they do is put out content that says, hey, did you know that a racist person, you know, uh, 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 blamed this black person for something they didn't do? Did you hear about this guy that got shot and the cops didn't arrest the shooter for three weeks? Like it's constantly this negative talking talking points that just drag people who are black because i mean i get sucked into it i'll turn on the news and i'll be like man another racial situation like man this sucks how can we never get out of this and now we have the entire population of black people being like man like you know your head's down it's like you're in the third quarter and you're losing by you know three touchdowns we're walking around with this rather than someone stepping in and being like look i know we're losing but understand you all individually have the ability to put in every little bit of effort that you have right now to make a change. Let's start, shrug off the loss, shrug off the unfairness. Let's work hard while we continue to infiltrate the system and and, and build it back to a place where we all have the ability to, to, to do whatever it is. Because there's no rewinding 100 years. There's no, we can't do that. We can't go back and all of a sudden be like, hey, by the way, you're going to get 7,000 acres of land so that your family can have generational. It's not going to happen. At some point, we need to realize we have to move forward. We have to raise morale. And this goes for, for pretty much all things, not necessarily just black people. Anybody that feels down, any impoverished community that feels like they've been that way for a long time, it you need to change your mentality. People do not understand the power of the mind. And, and it sounds super cheesy because we have all these motivational speakers out there that will tell you everything about the simple fixes to life. It's never that simple. But in general, we need to make sure that we, we put more positive messages out there than hey, by the way, everything sucks, the world's racist, you're never going to be able to do anything because you're X, Y, and Z. Th that's what I'm yeah, combating. Yeah, because we all have trauma, right? Like, yeah, we all have right? different forms like, of oppression. 
right like so like racism is a form of trauma like if you ever experienced racism then it's a traumatic experience but there's other traumas right you could come from a family with an abusive father or alcoholic mother you know any there's so many kinds of trauma you know so many kinds of trauma that people have to overcome in their lives and the the first thing like my wife is a therapist and I got to shout out to my wife because she's an amazing woman and, and, and I've learned so much in terms of uh, just how to frame my thinking um, from her. And one of the, when therapists work with someone with trauma, one of the things that they try to do is, first of all, they have to name the trauma and they also have to put themselves back in the situation where they're being traumatized and identify the feelings that they're having and then take back control of those particular feelings. So for instance, like if you were sort of beaten, like let's just say your father abused you or something like that. And so, um, and as a child, and so you, you're raised in like a, in a state of fear, constantly fear and anxiety, right? So one of the things that you try to do is you try to re-empower the person that, because ultimately what's happening is that that fear that was imposed on them as a child is coming up again as an adult all the time in different ways, right? And it's not even just, you know, because someone's trying to hit them, but it could be uh, they've got to go to a job interview. And so now that trauma then relives in them. And so they have fear for the job interview. So what you try to do is empower them. Like, what if you could go back at that moment and you could grab your dad's hand and tell him to stop? The, and this is how we get over racial trauma. This is how we get over any sort of sort of kind of trauma is to to look at it and go, okay, I've experienced this particular thing. It sucked. It hurts. It's affected me throughout my life. But if I live in the same mindset of the hurt, then I'm never going to get past it. Like I can't live in hurt. I have to strengthen myself. I have to. I have to look my aggressor in the eye as in as the person I am now and say, you no longer have control over me, right? Amen. And that's how you get past it, right? So a perfect example would be this. Uh, my wife is white. Uh, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's an activist. She's a very stern activist. And matter of fact, we joke all the time. She's like... She says to me all the time, Damani, you're one of the most problematic people I know. And if I wasn't married to you, I probably wouldn't like you. <laughs> right? So. Sounds healthy. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. Uh, and so uh, there was a time there where she was really, really concerned about, you know, she might, you know, make sure you have registration is right on the car tags, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't want you to get pulled over and something happened to you, please officer to shoot you right and this happened like she says this to me one time like sitting in the living room like eating dinner like watching tv or something like that and it like it's like sort of made me like mad and i couldn't figure out why and i had to really think about like what was was happening and eventually we ended up talking about it and i and i said and like i don't need you to remind me of that when i'm in the comfort of my home like I'm in my safe space. Like I'm like, like I, I can't exist in a fear state. Like every time I go out and get in my car, I'm worried about getting pulled over and shot by a police officer. Like the minute I start 
that creeps into my head every time I'm in the car. Now, to use the saying, it gets me off my square. I'm no longer my best self anymore. Like fear has creeped into my existence, right? So what I need to be thinking about is driving this car and going get this money and, and being the best me that I could possibly be. Now you're trying to put in my mind that I need to be thinking about getting shot by a police officer. These are counterintuitive <laughs> concepts. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That's not going to put you in the mood that you need to be in to accomplish. Right, right, right. So, like, I, I, I need to be empowered in my car. I need to, I need to be like, yo, Damani's the shit, man. I'm going to work. I'm about to get this money. I'm about to, you know, I'm gonna turn up this music real quick. Boom, boom. Like, I'm not. I, I can't be worried about police. Yeah, right. You see what I'm saying? This existential threat that doesn't make me great. So if does that? Happens, so, so does that yeah, actually? Does that? Does that? resonate with you with something that you're actually going to fear or 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 can you shrug that off pretty easily i'm not gonna fear that i get well first of all i don't i don't fear no man but god first of all yeah like and and death is imminent and like i'm gonna die today i'm gonna die tomorrow I'm, i don't know when death point. is gonna come yeah so and i've almost died a few enough times that i'm kind of comfortable with the concept yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah i i yeah, like I've gotten real I've gotten real close to it. You know what I mean? Like real close. Um those are maybe stories for another podcast, but it sounds like uh, another two hour conversation right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so if I was gotta going, have this guy one again. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Uh so no, I'm not I'm not going I'm not gonna fear a police officer, I'm not gonna fear death, I'm not gonna fear any of that stuff. And I, I need to go as a matter of fact, the the as a matter of fact, the more I was able to put fear behind me the more successful i got in life absolutely because you're not ruled but i i made a video a while ago about forgiveness and and and, and a lot of people take forgiveness as like uh letting off whoever the person like you said aggressor whoever the person that hurt you was but but what i was talking about was the exact same thing that you just mentioned is if you want to move forward you have to forgive because you, like so so my example was when when people were talking about you know black people are oppressed and I'm like well you know you know Betty over there who got raped at 16 she's oppressed that's something that she carries with her and that's what that's that's she has a threshold of what she's worth right um, it's trauma yeah tra uh, the trauma or 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 a kid yeah, yeah that gets abused by mm -hmm. by his dad or or you know you know we have a lot of kids out here that have like those sports parents who just 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 drive their kids to the ground because they're not good enough and they're not, you know, living up to their expe expectations on the basketball field or whatever. And and those are things that, that, like you said, the trauma that people have where they are only worth a certain amount. And so many of these people grow up and all of a sudden you're like, why are you, why are you being so rude? Why are you being so mean to all these other people? Or, or why do you have, why do you lack self-confidence? Why do you not think you're worth this? Why do you, why do you go down the path of, of drugs, alcohol? Why are you trying to, you know, cause your own train wreck? And you look back, it's because they're still holding on to the fact that someone told them they weren't worth this. Or they're still holding on to the fact that they're only worth as much as that, that situation where they got raped. They, they can't let go of it. And you have yeah. to at some point. And my dad, my dad does counseling. So it's kind of like where he used to talk to me about this all the time and I hated it. But again, it kicks in when you get older. But he, he's like, you have to face it. Like you just said, you have to face it and say, look, that is not, that is not as good as I can be. That's not as good as I will be. That is just a stepping stone that's going to, to catapult me to a position that, I, that I'm going to be at in my future. So I need to continue to climb up. I need to forgive that situation because that no longer holds power over me. Forgiveness is not for the person that did something. It's for you to move on past it. 
And 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 that's kind of how I feel about this this racial conversation and and this political conversation and all the conversations that are going on right now. We have the someone said this or someone implemented this that hurt my feelings or or racism is this or 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 this president did this and we our, our views slowly start honing in because because we're we're blocking out so much that we're hurt by that we we're no longer to see the full picture, right? We're looking at only the things that we think have done us right the entire time rather than being able to look at the full scope and the full picture. And, and, and man, you, you, you said it best when you're just like, you have to face your fears. You have to face your traumas. You have to realize that they don't hold power over you. That way you can open your mind to, to grasp everything, not just, you know, a pixel of the picture. Amen, brother. Um, I mean, so the last thing I, I, the last thing I have to add to the conversation of race, I mean, you guys can continue the conversation, but the last, you know, thing I have as far as tangibly adding to the conversation has a lot to do with um, this analogy that John often makes is about the broken window. Hey. So when you have a community, whether it be the black community or whatever the community may be, what uh, these these people or this system that is down is uh, you know at a lower socioeconomic status for for whatever the reason may be. Say the black community, there's a, there's a lot of poverty in the black community. So what these you know primarily white politicians are telling the black community is we have pinpointed these problems. We know exactly what the problem is. We figured it out. Just sit tight and we're going to make these things happen and everything is going to change. Meanwhile, those changes are never coming. They're, I mean, they're, they're just empty promises. So you have an entire community. A lot of them are sitting in purgatory waiting for this change that's never going to occur because there is no change to occur. Not only that, but you have people that will do nothing until they see that change. So you have people, one, believing in it and thinking that they have this mentality that they cannot succeed without this change. And you have people that are not doing anything as they're waiting for that change to occur. And that's why that, that's the, the, the nuts and bolts of why I disagree with this sort of like, you know, new wave woke sort of uh, way of you know, running a, a, a political campaign is that it's, it's just empty promises and you're keeping people not only government dependent, but you're giving them this sort of false hope and like keeping them in what I call a, like a social purgatory. Nothing is ever going to change, but they believe it could change. And once it does, that's when things will pick up for them. And to me, that that's just morally wrong. Yo, that's crazy that you said that. And like, I totally agree with you. It's not healthy for any community to be in in stasis or idle, right? And waiting for someone to do something else for them. I also feel the same way about a lot of conservative rhetoric to white people. Like, it, it it's the same problem. Like, I feel like I heard it a lot in the last election cycle. Like, and and like I, I try to ha I, I try not to talk bad or good about any sort of political figure because I really think that there's bad and good with most political figures and there's no gods and no monsters. But um, there was a piece of uh, rhetoric that I really didn't like in the last political cycle, and it was when um, I saw like uh, Trump going to like West Virginia and talking to like the the coal miners there and talking about how he was going to bring coal mining back in West Virginia. Um, and how he was going into the Midwest and he was talking to the farmers about the, some of the things that he was going to do out there. And it was, it's straight 
bull crap. So first of all, ain't nobody mining coal no more in America. Like, <laughs> just that's not happening, right? And so you've got like this these large communities in West West Virginia who are like sitting idle, waiting for whatever to 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 bring back some like a dead industry that's no longer ever going to be profitable in the United States. And and, and the same even with um, the agriculture industry, uh, even though agriculture is always going to be huge in the United States because we have a lot of land and we could grow here. But the idea that anyone is going to step in and like undermine the, the stronghold that Monsanto has on the agricultural industry in, in, in the Midwest is absolutely ridiculous. Like it's just not happening. And it's like, and it, it really incensed me, uh, not because of the person making the promises, but because what it meant to the people that were listening to the promises. Yeah, that that bought that you you feel bad for the people that bought the 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 token of of uh, I don't know campaigning hook line and sinker, and now waiting for that to happen be implemented. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's, ha- it's it's happening on both sides, and so what it's what's 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 happening is. Poor white people and poor black people are all left in this state of like, uh, well, like you said, waiting. Like this Can, idea so, that the government's going to come in and fix the problems that they have. Go ahead. Yeah. This I, I want to give my, like well, my perspective on this. I got to throw that word in there so people know why it's called what it is called. Um, <laughs> but my perspective on this, for real though, it's it's the, so um, the easiest votes to sway are are the impoverished votes, right? Because yeah. No matter how you spin it, no matter how many people want to take offense to it, when you're when you don't have as much money, you're not going to be as educated on a lot of the different avenues and 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 tactics that that politicians use. These are all tokens of showmanship, if you will, to say, "Hey, look, I'm standing with farmers. I'm standing with miners. You guys like coal. You guys like the agriculture business. Look, I'm buddy buddy with these people. Vote for me. I'm your guy. No, no matter how you spend it, no matter which side you go, that's that's what it's going to do. That's why Biden's going to do the same thing and cater to you know the inner city. You know, mine. It, it's it's all showmanship. They're trying to all it grab is. as many tokens as they can." And then they're going to use these tokens to be like, hey, remember, I hung out with those people that you like because you're a farmer. So you're going to vote for me because you're a farmer. I mean, we can, I mean, well, I say we all can seek it through it, but we all can't well, see it, through it's it. It's like, you know, the politician that kisses the baby, <laughs> knowing damn well you're not going to do anything for babies. <laughs> that was a thing. That's crazy. Uh, Obama kissed a couple babies. He did a good job at kissing babies. I'm not gonna lie. That man. Obama was such a I, showman and he gave such a, he gave such great speeches. Like, I mean, I, I. Obviously, you know I'm a conservative. I, I didn't vote for the guy, but I gotta respect the I, I respect the hustle of Obama. I hate Obama, but um, man, he was good. So man, it's, yo, it's funny yo, you mentioned coal miners. So... The, the, <laughs> the only coal miner I've ever known or seen in my life is actually a, a TikToker. He's got a pretty decent following, and he is quite literally a coal miner. He goes down under the earth every day and like mines coal. Oh, weird. Yeah. But um, so you, when you mentioned the farms. The farms are something I know so little about. Like, I know about Monsanto and, like, you know, like, uh, Nestle and Coca-Cola buying up, like, fresh water reserves and stuff like that. Uh, You know, the rumors of, well, it's a a fact now that Bill Gates owns, like, the most uh, private land in the United States of anybody. I feel like a lot more of information on that topic should be common knowledge. But you never hear any of that in the mainstream media. I never get any concrete evidence from anybody. Just conspiracy theories. You never see anything like 
published in like the AP or, or Fox News or the Epic Times, whatever the case may be, you don't get any concrete information about what's actually going on in, in the agricultural industry. And even John, John stitched a video. They got like, <laughs> a, you know, lots of views, but it ended up being like the guy was just joking or something. They were, yeah, there's a whole joke going on. It's still going around. I, I don't find it very funny, but they're they're pretending that the government's making them. Hey, stop laughing, Daniel. I saw that. They're, they're, they're pretending that uh, the government's sending out letters asking uh, farmers to destroy their crops and um, oil people to destroy, like to dump oil. And I and I and I've seen them, and like I mean, these videos are getting six hundred thousand views, right? I mean, you know, they're they're going viral, and people are buying it, right? Because any everybody loves a good conspiracy. Everybody loves a good story that they can pit against, you know, their opposer. And um, I started seeing them, like, you know, it's one of those things where, like, with the world the way it is, you're like, eh, it's not, it doesn't sound entirely crazy, but that just does not sound. Like, no, like let's, there's some showmanship here. No one would ever just do that. So like I made a video, I'm like, look, someone's got to tell me like, what's going on here? Cause all the farmers on TikTok were doing it, right? All of them. And so I made a video, I'm like, I don't believe this, but if some farmer can send me some pictures of some actual documentation, like show me the facts, basically what I asked. And then the guy stitched the video. It's like, oh no, we're just joking. We're just showing the disconnect between, you know, uh, uh, the consumers and the farmers. We're showing that the United States knows nothing about farming whatsoever. And we can tell you anything and you'll buy it. And I was like, damn, that's mm -hmm. true. Like I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing about the farming industry. It is such a hush hush thing that none of us try to dig into that right. they What's literally up with that? are still going around TikTok with it. And people are like, oh my gosh, Biden's making us lose our crops. And I'm like, no. You know, uh, we need to know more about <laughs> farming. Where we get our food. I mean, yeah. it's where our food yeah, comes where from. Where our sustenance This should be very from. common knowledge. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I was like thinking before, about it. Like, if things go to hell, like, I don't know how to do that stuff. There was, like, a movie way back in the day, like, when my mom was young with, like, Charlton Heston called, like, Soylent Green or something like that. And it's like a... Uh, it, it's like one of these uh, dystopian future movies where, you know, the society has collapsed and the government comes in and basically feeds people. Um, and the only thing that they have to feed them is this, like, green slop. And it's Why called it Soylent green? green. And, like, and you don't find out what Soylent Green is to the end of the movie when they're dragging Charlton Heston away to kill him and he's screaming and oh, everyone shit. thinks he's crazy. He's going... Soylent Green is people. Like they're feeding humans, oh, other humans. That's right? Dirty. Yeah. So I, 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 spoiler alert. That was like a good you, movie. If you want to go that. back and watch it, well, I wrote it down movie. to watch it, but now I'm going to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, what was it called again? Spoiling Green? Soylent Green. S O Y L E N T. I think even Family Guy has done like. Yeah, I feel like know, there's been like some parodies. Yeah. The, the whole Soylent Green is people is like a popular classic movie scene anyways um i don't know this whole conversation made me think of soil and green but the, the it's sort of but the disconnect between where our food comes from and like they could literally we could be eating people at this point and you know because we don't know well yeah, then we, we no know idea. that there's trace amounts of people in mcdonald's hamburgers and most <laughs> hot dog manufacturers now oh. <laughs> right right so we could be yeah we could be eating people Do but you um go ahead go ahead no, no, I, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I'm like, do you realize how trusting we are? Like, like how much, how much, like, like even the craziest conspiracy theorist, theorist will go to McDonald's and eat a burger, having no, 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 no tray, no idea, no idea about anything. 
the conspiracy theorist in me says we're being conditioned for that because a, rep- a, a legitimate report came out that there are trace amounts of human beings both in McDonald's hamburgers as well as like half of all uh, hot dog manufacturers. What does trace amounts mean? You have to explain that to me. It means like... Daniel, start wh- digging. Any amount is too much human, John. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get that clear. I let's mean, very clear no, about that. I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm asking like, like what are we talking no, about? I'm not like talking like amounts? a fingernail fell, fell into the bat. I'm talking like a human arm was ground up and dispersed among like 10,000 different hot dogs. That's Daniel. what trace amount means. Damn. Now we know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, right? Like <laughs> everyone wanted where Jimmy Hoffa was. Yo, they sent him to a sausage factory. Like, too much human. The Clintons are supplying the Polish meat people from McDonald's. Kielbasa's made of Jimmy Hoffa. But <laughs> anyway, the conspiracy theorist in me feels like we're being conditioned because people, you know, that report comes out and people will be like, "I don't care. It tastes good. I'm still gonna eat hot dogs." Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but. It's one of those things where, again, you got like you're waiting for the evidence to come in, and and we assume as people, if anything is that bad, it'll be shut down, it'll be taken away, like it'll it'll be exposed, right? It's not. It, it's not. That's the thing. It like 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 Ben's saying right now, it could totally be normal, and if we don't see a major major like across all national news station like story, we're gonna be like, yeah, some crazy, you know, Idaho was like pissed off because he found a fingernail, like. We just write it off. We're so easy. And I think Ben and I or somebody and I had a conversation about how uh, nothing's, I mean, I think it was, we were on a podcast with someone who was like super, I don't know if they were super Christian or something, but we're talking about how faith, there's no faith anymore. Everything's written off by like happenstance or circumstance, you know, this or or chance. And, and nothing is really what it is. We just, we're so, we're a throwaway culture in more ways than one where it's like, eh, Sounds a little suspicious. I'm just going to disregard it. Like, not a big deal. It was probably just one crazy person. It was probably just one instance or whatever. And, yeah, we could very well be eating people fingers. It was like, you know, everyone's talking about, like, the vaccines not FDA approved. Like, yeah. like when was the FDA, like, the be-all and end-all for what was healthy for human beings? Like, I, somebody please tell me when in history that was because it never has been. I'm pretty sure that McDonald's is FDA approved. McDonald's uh-huh. hasn't been food. <laughs> Since for a long time, since the you know first how many burger chemicals shake. and like like yellow number five is FDA yeah, approved. Right, well, think right. about uh, toothpaste fluoride. and all this other stuff we put in our body. Yeah, fluoride, right? One of the most cancerous chemicals known to man, fluoride, FDA approved. So this is this is something that like that I saw TikTok about. It's like okay, so like nowadays we are in an information overload to where if you want to uh, support something, you can support it, right? So this, so this guy's in his car about to order coffee. He's like, um. You know, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. Like, I could probably Google right now that coffee makes you go blind. So he Googles it yeah, and the first I just thing pops that. up. Yeah, and I was like, that's genius. And he's like, coffee can make you go blind because of this, this, and this. And he's like, you know what? I could probably look up coffee helps with eyesight. And he Googles coffee, you know, improves eyesight. And there's a thing right there. Coffee can improve, improve blah, blah. So, like, it's to the point where we, we can't even formulate a good argument because nothing's wrong and nothing's right according to the, uh, the, the vast amount of sources out there. It's not like you have to go to one source that's credible. There's billions of different options for you to find something that backs your argument. If, if, if my girlfriend was listening to the conversation, she would be dying to butt in because there is such a lack of uh, of understanding of what a study really is. So many people are unable to break down uh, the methodology of a study. So, I mean, it, John, if you wanted to prove that, you know, if you wanted to prove anything, you could come up with a study, manipulate it any way you wanted, 
and your study would be, you know, ethically sound and you would prove whatever it is you wanted to prove. The problem is that people are unable to break down the data and really understand how you did the study, how everything is categorized, and what actually happened within the study. What they call a, a I, I don't know the, I don't know all the vocabulary words for this stuff, but there, people don't understand. The, like when you put a study in front of somebody, they don't know anything other than like the headline and the abstract. That's the vast majority of Americans. Right, right. So they don't know how to critically analyze what the studies actually, the information that's being put out there. Yeah. Because there's so many theories. Like I I did a college thesis and people are like, oh, like, look, this person proved that this happens. Like, no, they, they, they weighed some, you know, information, but most people actually aren't doing a full study on anything. Like I remember being in a psychology class Everything had, you had control groups, you had all these people that would do placebo, then you'd have people that actually went through this and that. And, and I mean, there was data on data, like years of data to back one, one thought process or one idea. And nowadays, I can sit here and be like, I want to write an article about how coffee makes you go blind. And I'm going to pull a thousand different sources that most people aren't going to look at. And I'm going to draw my conclusions through articles that I think lean my direction. And people are going to read, hey, look, this person did a study and it's proven to be true by these 25 sources. And they're like, all right, bet. But they didn't, they didn't, they don't know how to dissect, like you guys just said, they don't know how to dissect that. So, and nowadays we're not even showing sources anymore. I don't know if you guys have read any articles recently. Confounding variables. That's what I was trying to think of. Confounding variables. Confounding variables. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that is a good one. Yo, so the pen, the, the, so the pen is mightier than the sword, right? So the ability to write things down has been a powerful tool for a really, really long time, and it's only actually in recent history that that the ability to disseminate or put out what you write down has been available to anyone and everyone, right? So I was actually I was teaching it. I was teaching the, one of my English classes. And I was trying to explain to them how powerful the pen is. And I said, if you think about, you go back to uh, back in the day when they had like printing presses, or even before that, when, you know, like, you know, in England or something, when like the king would make a decree, right? And the king would make a decree and he would say it to a person who would write it down. And then the town crier would go out into the town square and he would read the decree. So this thing that is on paper now becomes essentially the law and so the person that's reading it becomes the 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 bearer of the law to people um that's very important because if you misread it then you can get in a lot of trouble right and so then everybody within that town would then have to adhere to this particular decree because it was written down so then then you got printing presses right and so in order to have a printing press you had to be or access to one you had to be rich essentially like the ordinary person couldn't buy a printing press, much less operate run, right? So whoever had the money or the wealth to write things down or print had the power. So imagine if I like I am owning the New York Post in like 1911. You're God. Like, whatever I print is being read by every single person in New York and that becomes law, right? So like I'm control I literally I literally control the in- how people move. If I get on there, if I'm the editor and I'm like, I want to buy this business over here and I can't stand this scumbag Tim who owns the freaking business, right? 
Like, I'm going to print an article in the New York Post, and I'm going to put it on page two, and every single person is going to read it, and now no one's going to go to Tim's business, so I'm going to buy the business. Shoot, you want to make it even crazier? Like, imagine this. Like, before there was printing presses, if I was a minister, and I didn't like a woman, I could call her a witch, and I could write it down <laughs> on a piece of paper and post it on. Susan, I've had enough middle. of you. It ends yeah. here. <laughs> I could put it on this post right and then everyone goes and reads it and they're like or the you know the five people in town that can read it's probably a lot more than that because everyone could read the bible by this point in time so they go in there and be like yo susan's a witch and that's Damn. just burner so so yeah. this this is a way because I, I, I we had to get to a topic just because we got to talk about what's going on today's episode is brought to you by much love clothing this is an american first clothing brand that focuses on supporting our country and those who fight and have fought for our freedom much Love is about empowering those who have stood up and spoken out about the current events in our country. We know it's difficult nowadays to speak freely about your views without fear of getting canceled or, or shut down by your job or social media. Much Love Clothing is to empower those to speak out and, and, and let people be unapologetically American and proud of the opportunities we are given here in this country. Despite race, despite where you came from, we know that America offers something that you can't get anywhere else. And Much Love Clothing is also what makes this podcast possible. So we would really appreciate your support. If you go check out muchlovestore.com, you can find some awesome clothing, some really cool accessories, and use discount code John Dawson Perspective for a discount. Now, without any more wasted time, let's dive back into the podcast. I made a video today about biden's phone call that got leaked and and and, and did, he constantly said perspective uh i think it was perspective was it perception he's constantly said perception and and that's it because we have the foxes the cnn's the the npr's the whatever and all they do is sell like you just said if you have enough money behind you and you can put out a story that can be perceived as the majority opinion, you have the ability to write history. So like if you don't report something, like there are certain things across history, you know, we had the Hunter Biden stuff, stuff that was all conspiracy and people still believe it's conspiracy, who cares, whatever. But if you choose to not cover something and most sources don't hear about it, technically when you look back six months later, it's almost like that never happened. Because you don't, because there was like, you know, the same thing that I, that I hate the Clintons, Every I mean, most people do, um, the same thing that I feel oh, like the Clintons do. I don't want to say that too loud. I'm talking about, you know, no, nah, screw it, whatever. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Hillary's. I am not suicidal, just so you guys know. You're not talking um, about the problem Funkadelic, are you? But, but you know, like when, when they, when they have something in the news that's negative, they make sure there's a bigger story in the news so that the reporting on that issue is underreported. Therefore there's more loopholes, more unknown so that there's not a clear story. People who report like the CNNs, the Foxes, the NPRs, all the other people, they have the ability to, um, present something as accepted by the masses, even if it's not. And, and this brings me to the transcripts from the Biden phone call that I've been reviewing recently that to me, I mean, again, it's not my guy, so I'm going to talk trash on him. Um, but I was talking trash on, on Trump when it was, you know, un, you know, downplayed the coronavirus to a certain extent. Um, it, it mind blows me that this isn't being re reported more, right? The whole Afghanistan situation and all that's in the news today is Texas abortion laws. And I'm like, wait a minute. We had a transcript drop. We have we have issues in Afghanistan and people that are still over there. We have private citizens going over there and bringing more people home than our, pretty much our government did. Like, 
how are we looking at this transcript now? And and Biden's talking about the percept perception. He was saying, if we need to make it, I he said, I know, and, and I had made a video about it, but we he said he knows that uh, the world and Afghanistan is not looking or is is seeing us, you know, as potentially losing against the Taliban. But what we need to do is make them have the perception that it's going good. We need to sell to the American people and, and to the people around the world that we have things under control. And he says this, we need to give them the perception that things are going good. And that to me is exactly what we just talked about from hundreds of years ago, is if you control the narrative, you control the people, you control the world, you control the countries that you want to control. I don't know how he thinks he's going to control that perception because he <laughs> screwed the pooch on this one. I just like, like I mean, just to keep it just to keep it one hundred, man. If you spill the milk and you slip in it, you're going to be covered in milk. Like, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's it bad. this one's bad. This was bad. idea of I mean, you introduced the idea of you know who controls the printing press controls you know the the, the narrative that was the the advent of what us conspiracy theorists refer to as information warfare. So, and I, I feel like I should, before we go forward, I should tell you that I was an English major, Bachelor of Arts. My man. I have an English degree. Hey, hey. Hey. But, so <laughs> one of the most graduate. interesting classes I took in, um, in all of my college career was a class called semiotics, which is like the study of signs. So when you have a printing press and you own the printing press, you have a label that you assign to everything you print out of that printing press, whether it be the NBC logo or the CNN logo or like, you know, the federal, like, you know, uh, what is it, like the Ivy and the Eagle, whatever whatever the case may be. When people see that, they say, wow, this is super legit. This is completely true because I see that seal. My mind is telling me because I associate that image with, like, authority and, and legitimacy. And that is one of the biggest problems we have right now in American culture and really world culture is we have something like the CDC who's, like, making laws for schools and we have people that are not authorities on their subjects printing things on what people think are authoritative uh, bodies bill gates <clears throat> and that and then that becomes the you know the narrative becomes the the uh the common knowledge that's what that's the understood sort of uh you know belief that becomes it becomes fact once it's published under that image that becomes fact and there's no convincing people otherwise that is the biggest problem we have right now is convincing people that these institutions and these bodies that they believe in are not as credible as they think they are. Yeah, or and that and we actually I was having this conversation with Daniel right before we got to recording is especially in terms of let's talk specifically about the CDC, right? So um I won't go into crazy deep what our whole conversation was, but if we look at something like the coronavirus, right, where uh, science doesn't understand viruses, like, they just don't, and they never have, like, because a virus is not there to be understood. It, it can mutate spontaneously for the worst. It can mutate spontaneously spontaneously for not, not the worst. It's um, It can ex ex express itself differently, and every single person that it touches you can carry a virus for your entire life and never show symptoms and never hurt anybody. Um, you can have a virus one time and it can be the most vicious thing in the world. The cold sore is a virus. Herpes is a virus. Like people, you know, you can have a guy who has uh, herp has herpes, never ever had anything show up in his body, have sex with a woman, 
and she breaks out in all kind of crap, right? You know what I mean? We don't understand viruses. So you you look at someone like the CDC who their only option is to err on the side of caution. And it's not because there are truly people in the CDC that care about the health of people. Like you don't go into that profession because you like your goal in life is to go to school, like graduate from high school and go to school for six more years so that you can deceive people, right? Like <laughs> there are good, there are good, like oh, well, the majority CDC has one goal. So, I mean, so John Dawson and I talked on this. I don't know why I, why I call him first and last name. I gotta get out of that. Yeah, head. what the hell, bro? Right. <laughs> right. John and I talked right, about well, this in the last podcast. Is that the the primary goal of the CDC? is what they say, you know, health. But the primary goal of humanity can't be health and safety. There has to be a balance. So when you give the authority to somebody like the CDC, they're going to disregard everything else because their thing is health and safety, which is going to supersede everything else, freedom, whatever the case may be. That can't, we can't allow that to happen as a society. But right. Well, and that is, and that is, yeah. And so, and that's sort of the point I'm trying to make is because your job is to protect the health and safety of people, like you have, like you have to err on the side of caution, right? Like you have no choice because if people die, then you don't have a job, right? <laughs> because you're, jo- you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like let's look at the NFL, right? The NFL has these really strict COVID protocols, right? And it's not because I think that, and I don't. I'm not in the NFL, so I don't know. But it's not because I think that everyone in the NFL is some kind of like crazy hardcore vaxer and believes that everyone should be vaccinated and that coronavirus is killing a trillion people a fucking day. That is not why. The reason being is because if a single football player gets the coronavirus and dies, their family is going to sue the NFL for a couple of hundred trillion billion dollars in like tank the freaking league. Like, or even you, worse, they get other people sick and they end up losing a game. Oh, oh and, then, yeah. and then there goes or the trillion. Right or there. they get other people sick and they lose a game. See, see, so it's it's a it's like a cost benefit analysis, right? Like, it, you have to institute strict protocols. Well, self preservation of the business. The alternative was that. It's self-preservation of the business, right? They're 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 it's just they're literally the just looking out, out for their assets, their 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 yes. their interests, which which guys, I did, fully understand. Have Have you guys seen Fight Club? Mm-hmm. No. What? Come on, John. Bro, I hate Brad Pitt, dude. Like so much. You hate Brad Pitt. I hate Brad Pitt. He's so How good. You hate Brad. Movie? All right. Anyway, the guy is explaining his job. He's that he works for a an insurance or no, I'm sorry, he works for a car manufacturer. And his job is to do the cost analysis for recalls, and he explains that if there's like a uh, if there's a malfunction with a seatbelt, his job is to you know do the cost analysis for what the people will sue them for if their loved one gets burned into the side of a sedan versus the cost of the recall. And he says if it costs more to do the recall. And fix all the problems versus what he can be sued for for the deaths of all these people. He says, "Okay, we're not we're not going to do the recall. It's worth it just to let people die." <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. I'm about to watch that movie. Oh, that well, there, there there's there's that 
the 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 amoral side of capitalism for you again. <laughs> Bring that part up. Yeah. The greedy jaw, bleeding jaws of capitalism. And that's and that is way more more prominent than we we know. I mean, and that's when you look at the background of things. When you when you look at interests and 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 the amount of money that's being moved around here, you know that I mean, and and corruption for lack of a better word, the amount of corruption or just dead beatness of of these million and billionaires is is unheard of. I mean, you're talking about things that we you and I couldn't even start a conversation about because we don't even know, right? We have no clue. And and I think that's I think that's why for me personally, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I just personally do not see the science that backs up my personal age group and situation to get the vaccine. It's personal opinion. Don't care if you get it, not against it. I don't think it's the double spawn. I really just don't care. But I that's but I am skeptical about big pharma in general amongst uh, like with with cancer and all these other things because when you throw billions of dollars in an industry that capitalism greed kicks in when you're making a 10 billion dollar profit the largest profit in big pharma to date on vaccines that are being mandated and when you look at Fauci's wife and where she sits and how she can manipulate different approvals and when you look at Fauci and his position and Bill Gates and Trump and Biden and all these di- when you just look at the positioning of everybody you can't help but look at all these things that make them billions skeptically like you can't that's why for me I don't fathom how people can look at something like the vaccine and how they're like we're going to give you free beer free weed free lottery tickets and not be like this seems weird. And 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 while this seems weird, there's billions of dollars being made in the background, but somehow I am taboo and off my rocker because I'm like, no thanks. Like that to me seems so weird. Like like any other situation that you put this in, if it wasn't like Coronas, any other situation you put this in, people would be like, that seems sketchy. Like just the common, you know, that little twitch that you get. We would just be like, Billions of dollars being made in the background. My age group not dying. We should be pushing this vaccine on people that are at risk. If you have these, you know, these high comorbidities, you should probably get the vaccine. If you're this age group, you should definitely like really push for those people to get it. But when you're looking, when you're trying to be like, yeah, well, now we want to do kids because one died. Now we want to do people who are 21 to 35 who are healthy, even though the chances of them dying are, you know, not there. But technically they could get really sick for a day, but it's like, okay, who hasn't had the flu? Like who hasn't gone through a couple days of just being in bed super sick? Like I, I just can't, think past like you said the, the the horrible side of capitalism where the money the 10 billion dollars profit is being played into i mean bill when there's a bill when there's a billion dollars in play somebody's doing something dirty whether it affects you or not somebody's getting snuffed okay we it's should happening. we should we should be skeptical of the pharmaceutical industry um i think we should be skeptical of all things um skepticism is healthy because it means that you start to ask questions. And and as long as you're doing the due diligence to do the proper amount of education of yourself on the issue, then that's fine. I don't think that being skeptical and then just sitting back and being like, hmm, that's strange. I don't think that's really helpful. But like, we should be skeptical of the pharmaceutical industry for a lot of reasons. And the first reason is because we've been burned by them how many times and over the history of this, of this country. You know, it, 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 they don't have... Look, 
pharmaceutical is, industry is is great for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of people that are alive because there's medicines that exist. But you're right. It is a corporation. They have a bottom line. They have to make money. And so they profit off of people not being healthy. <laughs> that's just that's just a fact. When your like, clientele is sick people. <laughs> yeah, right? Like you can't be, this is the reason why if in order to become a physician in the United States, you only have to take one semester of preventative health. Like when honestly, like nutrition and you know, so preventative health, that's nutrition. That's what you eat. That's like exercise. It's like mind, body, like any of the holistic health things, right? You don't have to know, you don't, you don't have to study that to become a doctor in this country. You spend more time studying um, uh, pills and drugs than you do keeping people from getting sick. Yeah, figuring, so out, the figuring out what the symptoms are, exactly. Right, right, right. So if that is the foundation of your health system, then you should be skeptical of it. Um, I, I saw something. I, I, I'll say it was profound, but you know, if you think about it, you know, in in the basic element of what it was, it wasn't that profound. I saw a TikTok earlier today where a girl she said she had traveled to Colombia, and she said she was eating a lot more than she normally does in Colombia. She was on vacation, and she actually ended up losing weight on her vacation despite eating a lot more than she does at home. And then she said when she got home. She slowed her diet, and despite slowing her diet, she ended up gaining weight. So, I mean, you can make make of that what you want, but one of the comments was, in a uh, in a socialized healthcare system, it is in the best interest of the system to make sure you are healthy. Yeah, because everyone's paying for it. Right. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm com- I, I'm definitely pro capitalist, but that was uh. That was kind of uh, kind of mind blowing to me to, to to see that. But there's um, probably uh, some some other factors in there too as well. Well, she's yeah, I mean, she, she was on vacation, she's walking, probably swimming, all kinds of stuff. But it was just well, wild. I to, mean, I mean, you're in Colombia. You're like eating fresh food. You know what I mean? Like mangoes, and all that fruit, stuff. Yeah, right. Like, but uh, look, let me let me tell you something. Good. Let me tell you something about food. If when you eat. Uh, I, I'm trying to find the best way to say this without being disgusting. But <laughs> when you take a shit 12 hours later, it weighs about the same about as much as what you ate. Then you probably didn't eat anything healthy. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's this. That is facts. That's the same. They taught us that in football. Like when we were training in college, they they taught you like what color your pee was supposed to be. Because if you were drinking liquids, it's gonna come out. That means you're not getting any nutrients out of it. And and uh, bro, it's it's true. It's true, and it were, and and that's the same reason why your body's like when you eat certain foods, your but you feel tired because your body's actually using more energy to like digest these horrible foods, and then you lose all the nutrients because they don't it doesn't really keep anything, and you uh-huh. you just you just get bogged down. We need we need Joe Rogan on here. He'll give us some vitamin drips and all those different types of stuff. Since we're on the topic, I'm sure I'll <laughs> never get another opportunity on this podcast to say this to be disgusting, <laughs> but Uh-oh. believe it or not, this might blow your mind, John. I used to be a vegan. I was vegan oh for about two years. Oh, my. What? Dude, Good I'm an you. urbanite. I was vegan for like two years. Good for you. I told you, when before I got on TikTok, I was almost a liberal. And it took TikTok <laughs> really? to really wake me up. 
Being a vegan got being a vegan got you halfway there. <laughs> but listen, listen. So I used to eat like leafy greens by the barrel full, all kinds of good stuff, high fiber, and the and I'm gonna be disgusting for a minute. In the morning, I would take the biggest dumps, the biggest, cleanest dumps you've ever seen, and just feel great for the rest of the day. There was nothing like it. You took so, a holy shit. It was a holy shit. I mean, just, I mean, the immaculate shits every morning. Yeah. So, anyway, continue. I have so many questions. <laughs> well, if you have questions, please. I, I was going to start wrapping it up. I wanted to ask you two questions. No, I'm just curious because so, I've actually looked into it. Because recently, I mean, I'm I'm in the worst shape of my life. I've been an athlete my whole life. I've been worst shape of my life. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm currently working out of that. My biggest thing is we all turn to caffeine and other things to get our energy boosts up. When I was when I was you know a full blown athlete. I mean, I was I was amped all the time. I, I was I mean, I would take pre workout before the gym or practice and whatnot. But overall, like I would wake up in the mornings four a.m. Give me five minutes to wake up, and I'm juiced until ten o'clock at night, right? Like that, and that was with I did I never drank coffee. I just started drinking coffee six months ago, not even that long ago. And when you were vegan, did did you feel like were you drinking a lot of caffeine? Or I mean, can you even drink? I don't no, know. no, I've I've always been a one cup in the morning kind of guy. John, look, I'm, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie to you, dude. I, I know, like, you know, the conservatives, you know, barbecue in the Through backyard, the baby back ribs. Like, I get the stigma with like veganism. I get it. Make fun all you want, but I will say, no cap, I never felt better in my life, dude. And yeah, that's tempting. I was a vegetarian for five years. I wasn't vegan, but like, I was pretty much a, I, I was pretty much a vegan, and. Let me. T- a whole lot of things changed. First of all, um, I absorbed more nutrients from the food that I ate. Right, so like I didn't have to consume as much. So every every American knows the feeling of eating a whole bunch of something and then being hungry forty five minutes later. Like you eat till you're stuffed and then you're hungry again forty five minutes later. Like the concept of that is just freaking scary. Like if you if you really think about that. When you start to eat really well, you learn what it's like to be satisfied without being stuffed. Thanks. And that feeling alone is life-changing. And there's a lot of things you can eat until you're, like, gorged yourself, but then you don't, like, feel like crap after eating it. Yes. You know? So, so okay, with all this gloriousness you guys are talking about, why did you guys decide to stop? Dun, dun, dun. Um, me... At- Actually, it's because you actually you have to you have to really think about your food when you're a vegetarian or a vegan. Like it has to be in the forefront of your mind in order to make sure that your 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 diet is balanced and you're getting the things that you that that you need. Um, and I I'm just gonna be honest. I ran out of time to be a vegetarian. Um, I couldn't. I didn't have the time to cook the meals that I needed to cook and prepare the meals every single day, and which in itself is a problem. That my, the the grind of my life in order to be successful in this country made it so that I couldn't feed myself properly. <laughs> yeah, you sacrifice <laughs> like, your health and well being to get a different the kind of jaws of capitalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's one hundred percent right. So I mean, being a vegan, you you spend a lot of time with a knife at a cutting board, and it's a lot of prep time. And it's it's honestly it was just sheer laziness. I started going back to just like you know the occasional Taco Bell run. Then it was like okay, I'm buying chicken at the store again. And then it's just like all right, you know the, the hell with it. I'm I'm 
I have a regular Western diet once again. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. I don't eat pig. I don't eat pigs though. Yeah, day. I've the I I my mom doesn't eat eat pork or anything like that. Um, just because of the it's filthy fattiness. Yeah, it's bad. I love bacon though. With, and what they bacon. feed pigs? You have no you know. love some bacon. That's a whole separate podcast. Love yeah, bacon. No. It's funny they say you are what you eat, and then we just eat shite i like (laughs) not only do we eat shite then we eat shite that we feed shite you know what i mean like (laughs) so there's like layers there's levels to how bad it is see that's and 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 i think that's crazy because that that right there depicts kind of what our culture is just kind of like from the beginning where we're talking about like employment and bringing you know jobs here to, to the united states we we are creatures of of simplicity and and uh, uh, convenience, right? It, yeah. It's it's you know it's so difficult and and our and the way our world works, it takes us away from taking care of our bodies, taking care of what what we inherently are supposed to be, which is healthy human beings that are able to thrive in the world that we live in. We take that to being like, okay, well now we live in a capitalist world where we need to make money. Now money is now more important than our bodies being healthy to where we live long and we live an enjoyable life. It's, eh, I got, you know, six bills in the bank. That That's that's now the status. Not I mean, you you can, I mean, you look at all these people out there, you'll be 300 pounds, but they got a bill in the in the bank and that's someone you look up to rather than you're a healthy human being that's thriving on this planet, right? All these people that live off the grid and do the weird stuff that everybody, oh, you're weird. And and that's now downplayed, you know, and that's, it's crazy. It's just, it's just the way things evolve, I guess. Well, I mean, one thing I want to add to that is, is you're right. They're like on the superficial level, people looked up to you for like, you know, having money and stuff like that. But on the flip side of that coin is like when I was uh, like eating super clean every day, I was going to the gym. Dude, when I tell you I had the physique, felt great every day, was like clean, had a clean slate. There was a, a there was a there was a very spiritual and like sort of like soul cleansing element to that. And that that honestly, you know, claw cliche, but money can't you can't put a price on something like that. See, I would love that, really but I can you? tell you right now, I am too, I don't say lazy, but like the movement of my life, like, like Damani said, the movement of my life just doesn't afford me the the leisure to prepare. Like like this week was the first time I actually prepared my lunches. I mean, I, I, this is my office. I pretty much work in my office. So it's not like I, it's not like I'm like traveling two hours a day to work. Like I really don't have excuses. I prepared my lunches and, and, you know, I just got to walk, you know, through the house to the, to the kitchen and and it's even then I'm like it it's inconvenient like it, it, you just no matter how you scale it down you just it's inconvenient to inconvenient until you're literally like not moving like you're like in the black mirror where it's like you just literally walk from one place to the other place like this is where I do work this is where I eat and and you don't want to do anything out of the ordinary and I I need to I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing that because as you hearing you guys talk about that that really takes me back to to just feel like when you like there's a like you know a difference when you wake up in the morning and you ate great that last day or the last couple days there is a huge difference there is a huge level of optimism in that wake up versus having tacos like I had last night with cheese and jalapeno all this different stuff you wake up in the morning being like damn gotta do this again and and it's a different level a complete different level of life just by eating different and I mean, I don't think we put a, 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 as much importance on it. It used to be huge for me, but, you know. So, so imagine this. Imagine this, right? I, I, I was thinking about this a while ago. 
if we thought about food in terms of if we were, you know, in the wild, so to speak, like we weren't in like society where we have, you know, like, you know, skyscrapers and cars and everything like that. And you actually had to forage for your food, right? Um, that's a good way to judge your diet, right? So the amount of effort that it would take for you to have something in the wild determines like how much of that you should probably eat. So think of it like this, like uh, if you look at like a, a can of soda, it's like 16 grams of sugar in a Coke or 18 or 22 grams of Dude, sugar in a like, Coke. like... Is it more than that? I think a lot more, yeah. Right. So, and if you think about how many grams, that is a lot of grams. Like grams are a lot. Like I used to, you know, dab, <laughs> I, I used to dabble in the streets. B. I was like, about to say, I know. I, yeah, I don't even I know can, what a gram is. I right, right. Compare, you, I, I grew up in Baltimore. What's a gram? <laughs> yo, yo, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, right. no you're idea. in Baltimore. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So if I had a, if I had twenty two grams of a, a powdered a substance, that is a that's lot. a lot, right? So, but I here. Never you know, so and imagine what it would take to actually cultivate and refine that amount of sugar in just the natural world. So, like, you had to go to a sugarcane field. You had to chop down sugarcane. You had to then, you know, like squeeze it, and then you had to, to dry it in the sun. I take my food it, like, bitter every time. Yeah, well, we eat shit, and that's why I will never, never pay for a socialized healthcare system. <laughs> You, you could, yeah, because you can't, you don't want to be paying for somebody else's exactly. eating 40 grams of sugar, right? But like the amount of effort it would take to get the amount of sugar that you put in a single Coke, like you couldn't do it in the wild. Like, so guess what? You shouldn't do it now. And some people drink three, four Cokes a day. Bro, you seen those yeah. big gulps, man? People, oh man, people walk around it was with like these a 44 ounce 44 big gulp. Ounce, ounce, you, dude. They got like 52, I think, like the big mugs, like the truck driver mugs. And it is death. It's, oh, man. It's it's one of those things where it's, yeah, it, it's, we've manipulated our lifestyle to be 100% uh, um, pleasurable. If it's not pleasurable, we don't want to do it. Um, and, and, and that goes for food and everything. Like I keep telling people, like, it it doesn't have to be fun. You don't have to enjoy it. Work is work for a reason. You know, changing your life path is is hard for a reason. Like my coach used to say, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So at some point, and y'all getting me motivated to start, you know, eating better too. I've been having uh, eggs on toast recently. Um, but if it was easy, everyone would do it. We you need didn't put to avocado on it, did you? Hell no, I'm not. Right, you don't like avocado. I ain't basic, bro. Come on. No, I, I heard on, a theory avocados. that black people don't like avocado. Man, I, I love avocados. Do you? But then again, I'm not the black person to ask because, like, it used to be a running joke. There's, you know, there's a website called What White People Like. You ever heard of that? <laughs> no. I'm about to check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a web, there's a website called What White People Like, and so they used to pull it up at the job because they'd be like, "Hey, yo, Damani, tell us how many things on this website you like, right?" And I'd be like, "Everything." <laughs> like, <laughs> do you like mayo? Yo, uh, no, I like Miracle Whip. Like, I'm I'm still black oh, in that regard. So, I um. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like any of that miracle web uh, people talk about. But like, it. It, you know, on on the website, like what white people like. I'm not sure if that's the what white people like dot com, but you can Google it. It's like Seinfeld, yoga. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Starbucks. Yoga is another thing that goes with yoga. I, I took yoga for about three years, 
That was another thing. That was when I was in uh when I was playing when I was playing sports. Um that was another thing that stretching. Stretching is something that will make you feel like a million bucks. Okay. You it's don't realize speed. how much our bodies compact on themselves and yes. how much our muscles start start closing in on us. Like, I mean, I, when I was younger, I was like a muscle bound kid. Like my, my chiropractor would be like, you need to stretch more. Your Like I was just stalky, big bone, like they like to say. And um, when I started stretching, just the the relief, like peop- half the people don't even know the tension, the stress that's being caused in your daily life purely from just the tension in your body. Even but anyway, sitting I mean, in the chairs like like we're sitting in right now. Oh, like horrible. stress on your like spine and stuff. And stretching literally it, like your brain literally re- releases serotonin and you get those endorphins going just from stretching your muscles and tendons. To keep your body in a natural position would be so unnatural for every person nowadays that you'd be like, this cannot <laughs> be the right way. Like this is not how my body bends or sits when really. It's Do you know how hard it is for people to just actually stand up straight? Oh, bro, I'm like if you actually t- if you actually told a person to fix their posture and stand up straight and hold it for ten minutes, they'd be like, ah, nah, f this, yo. <laughs> like, your muscles would nah, get tired. This hurts, yo. Every part of me hurts. Be you'd be like, no, all you're actually doing is stacking your vertebrae, vertebrae, you know, the way it was intended. <laughs> I have an arch in the in the lower part of my back. Everybody thinks I got a I got junk in my trunk, but really it's just like from sports. Like my back has s- slowly started to like have this little curve, you know. Like I'm trying right, to like right, take a right, mirror right, picture right. of my booty. You're not, you're not twerking for the IG. I'm not, like, not twerking not for the IG. <laughs> but, anything for the gram, baby. <laughs> anything for the gram. Do it for the TikTok. Um, no, but it, it does. Like it, I have to like intentionally like like kind of flex my abs and and kind of like pull my core in so that my back will actually straighten out. And long distance running has always been a problem for me because over time, I, you know, I start to arch my back and my core isn't strong enough to keep it, you know, mm-hmm. straight. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, we've gone, we've gone, we've covered every topic out there. All right. Well, look, John, you never told us what you were drinking in your old fashioned. Oh man. So my old fashioned, I, I have some, uh, I'm actually doing Johnny Walker black label in there. Ooh, um, nice yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then um, I had some, uh, some you know, uh, uh, some bitters in there. I got a little bit of the uh, the uh, orange peel. There's a there's a right term for it, but I don't know what it's called. What is it called? Um, but I took the orange peel, squeezed it, rubbed it on the rim, got it all nice and nice and juicy, and then um, and I got the uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's the sweet something, the sugar. I forgot what it's called. I'm not good with this stuff. But anyway, it's made the correct way. It's made the quick way, right? Um, I didn't do the whole mashing of the ice or the the sugar cube. You didn't do the, any like smoking or anything, did you? I didn't light nothing on fire. I got wood countertops, man. We ain't playing games. Um, <laughs> but it was quite delicious, and I, I had about one and a half of them while I was sitting here. So very good. Um, yeah, it was it was delicious. We had a mo- what you, we, what you sipping on? What you sipping on, Ben? Uh, I had a Moscow Mule. What I made it the correct way. This is a copper mug. Um, that's uh, fresh lime. And some actual mint leaf, and uh, some ginger beer, and some Tito's vodka. What kind of ginger beer? Um, we talked. I think it's Gosling's. The one with is the it Gosling's. One. Yeah, that's Gosling's the only one of the only ones good. you can find around here. The only other yeah, one is say. a different company, but it's the only one. The, the, there's two companies I can find, but the other company besides Gosling's is always the diet ginger beer, and I don't want that. One of them has like you get like a four pack for like thirteen bucks, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, I'm not buying bottles. any bougie ginger beer, you know. Yeah. Well, so how is I've never had a Moscow with mint leaves. I've never done it. Really? That's that, that, no. that's the recipe, isn't it? 
It is. I just, I've never thought it far enough in advance to get mint leaves. So you got to like, you got to uh, sort of like disturb the mint leaf to like yeah. bring out the essence of it. Harass it a little bit. Exactly. So like, I'll like either like pinch it with my fingernail or like just like <laughs> twist it up real good and throw it at the bottom. Sometimes if I'm really feeling real bougie, I'll put the mint leaves in first and then the vodka and I just let it sit for like 20 or 30 nice. minutes. So you nice. really get that. Mm, you know? Nice, nice. See that? That, that actually sounds I'm really good. I'm not even a drinker, but I like. I want like some of your 20 minute old Moscow mule. <laughs> aged for 20 minutes. <laughs> yes, aged for 20 minutes. That does that does sound good. That's I'm gonna have to try it with the mint. I I I've been um, I've been trying different. I'm not a really big whiskey person, but I've been trying different whiskeys. I do like the Moscow. I like how simple it is to 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 make and just you can kind of squeeze things in there and mutilate some organics. I just there. bought a bottle of cognac. I've never had cognac in my life. Me I had a gift card for the liquor store, so I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm like, hmm, here's I'm in the cognac aisle. We have these things called Total Wine around me, and it's like the Walmart of liquor stores. Like literally, like 15 aisles of, like of liquor and beer. Uh, yeah, it's insane. But I had a gift card, so I'm like, hmm, I've never had cognac. Let me buy this fancy bottle of French cognac, and uh, I'll, I'll break it open uh, next week. Dude, so I was almost a liberal. You're like really <laughs> close. Like you were a vegan, and now you're drinking French I'm not cognac. A vegan like, French cognac. Like, like, like I feel like you're you're fooling people here. Like <laughs> take a double you, life. <laughs> man, you guys are gonna pull my uh, my Republican card. Yeah, <laughs> this man's playing playing us, man. He's he's all satire for us. Yeah, man, that's awesome. But that, we need to one of these days. One of these days, I'm gonna buy a nice. I'm gonna buy two nice bottles. I'm gonna send you one, Ben, and we're gonna we're gonna drink it. We're gonna we're gonna try it at the same time on the podcast and get some. Uh, Let's do it, brother. Get some reviews. Maybe we get. Well, maybe we'll get a sponsor, and they'll have to send each of us a bottle. Otherwise, you know, you won't know what I'm talking about. And regardless of what happens in the future, we definitely got to have the money back on at some point. Absolutely, yeah. Damani, you're like you're like the book of knowledge, bro. Dude, I, I'm having so much fun here. Um most of the time I'm just where, where you see me right now I'm in my like my home office slash home studio and I'm really just down here with the door closed like in my own little world with crazy books and stuff and it's so great to be able to share any information that I know that I have with other people and also just to be on here with you guys it's been really great it's been great to get to know Daniel you're a, a you know illustrious engineer um and Ben dude I I feel like we could just talk forever. Um, and John, for like you and I have actually not ever had like a this weird to say face to face. Like yeah. we haven't had a face to face, but to do this has been great because we've been watching each other from afar for so long, and it's just been fantastic. And I'm so uh, I, I feel really honored that you let me come on your show. Thank you. Oh, dude, hell yeah! No, I, this is this definitely needs to happen again because we need to talk. I, I know, like early on in life, yeah, you you have a lot more that we have not even tapped into, um, and and definitely, um, that that's what I love about this podcast is like 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 you said, like I like I feel like I know you, like it's weird, but like we've never been able to sit down and actually just just chop it up like with conversation. It's usually like a message, and then a day later, a message, and then you know it's like back and forth. Yeah. Um, but definitely, man, you're a busy I, guy, man. You're getting it. You out here getting it, me. I'm 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 young and I'm t- I'm getting tired, so I'm trying to go quick because I don't want to do <laughs> I don't want to work forever, man. So I'm trying to go quick right. now while I still got the mojo because I'm trying to go fish, man. I was I was about to I almost planned a fishing trip tonight. I was gonna take the boat out this evening and go fishing. And then I'm like, damn, I got a podcast. I, I, I almost left y'all. Shines. 
almost left y'all hanging, just about to head out to the lake. But um, yeah, man, I'm just, I, I love, I love, I'm, I'm turning my life to the point where I can just have these conversations because, you know, it, this, this is what I, this is what, this is what is fun to me. So. This is great. And I, and I hope that people listening, you know, I'm curious about the, the, the feedback that we get from the people. And I hope that us being able to have an open conversation, I'm going to tell you the one reason why I wanted to get on the show is because to be able to have a, a civil dialogue is an art that is being lost in, in general. Um, and we, we obviously don't all agree on everything. You know, just in within this conversation, we're all coming from different places. But in order to honor and respect each other enough to allow each other to have our beliefs and and to share them and learn from each other, I learned something from each and every one of you here today, and and I thank you for that. And that's an opportunity, you know, that I, I cherish. So I appreciate it. Thank you, and I hope that other people can get something from that as well. Awesome, Amen. man. I, I appreciate that. I agree 100%. And, and everybody listening, we do, it's brand new. We do have a forum um, where you can post questions, discussions, reply. I think there's one discussion on there right now. Um, but if you have questions for us, I check it, you know, pretty much every single day. And you can interact with other people that listen to this podcast. Um, give us ideas of what to talk about. I know that we have one on there about Cuba right now or Cuba. Um, with a pretty solid post about Cuba, if you want to go on there and 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 read what they have to say and give your input. Um, so if you guys do have something that you want to say to any of us on there, we will engage with that. We will mention it in the podcast as it grows and there's more content on there. And you can find that at the John Dawson Perspective.com. Um, that will be in the show notes below. Also, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts or anything like that, please leave a review that helps us with ratings um, and leave a comment. Say if you enjoyed it, didn't enjoy it, five star, one star, don't care. I love to hear your feedback so we can continue to be better and get better. And uh, if you want anybody to come on the podcast, please leave that in one of the comments on the podcast on Apple so that we can get that person on this podcast. But with that being said, Ben, I'll let you sign this one off. Yeah, I mean, just to hit back on what the money was saying, we come from three different walks of life. We were able to have a civilized conversation because in the age of technology and information, the idea of internet anonymity sort of gets to people's heads and we just sort of talk to each other any way we want to, like we have no home training. And uh, this, you know, this long form conversation, these podcasts, especially with different people from different areas of the, of the country, even different areas of the world sometimes, it's uh, it's very, uh, it's both enlightening and it's humbling, and it's just an all-around great experience. And I hope people really listen to it. And again, give us your feedback. Tell us if you love us. Tell us if you hate us. And whatever you do, tune in next week to the John Dawson Perspective. Much love, y'all. Thanks, Damani. Yo, thank you. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast. We'll see you on the next one.